You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome everybody once again to the Oz Network as we come to you today for a very special episode. It's the first of a two-part series that we decided to do because we realised we haven't had any many content on these days when we usually have movie ones in the lead up to when we actually do. So let's waste some time and bring you two episodes about us ranking things, because what's better than hearing two people who really have no actual training in TV and movie recapping <laughs> then rank, hearing them rank things and give their opinions? That's right. Today we are giving you the top 50 TV shows of all time, asterisk according to Ben and Colin. Um, but <laughs> we're excited for this because why not? It's something to do and we're opinionated people and that's how we roll. My name is Ben, and rank away, baby. (laughs) And my name is Colin, and let's just get out of the way now. Bringing Sexy back did not make the list. Tune out now if that disappoints you. Oh, far out. Well, it didn't make your list. Don't know about (laughs) now. Don't make assumptions. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) It's up there. Um, I'm excited for this. I think it was, it's just a random little thing that, um, you know, we sort of decided to do. I, I had, um, done a ranking on my blog, my personal blog a while back where I sort of ranked the top 100 songs of all time based on a friend who did it a couple of years ago. And then I thought, well, I'm going to rank my top TV shows of all time. And no, I'm going to rank my top movies of all time. (laughs) And I let Colin know. And then kind of, I said to Colin, like, actually, this would be a good episode, good episode idea. And Colin said, yes. And here we are. (laughs) The end. <laughs> the that end. was 9.30 this morning, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, uh, I mean, before we sort of get into this, we're not going to sit here. If anyone knows our ranking history on our uh, old days of this show, this is not going to take 34 hours. At least we hope it won't. If you've seen the time and count of this episode when you've downloaded it, maybe we're wrong. But, uh, you know, I think we're just... The, the main goal of this is we're going to rush through, I think, our... our first 40 well 50 through to 10 and then kind of maybe do a bit more of uh the 10 to 1 a bit separately but i want to ask you at least colin did did you have a specific criteria like kind of how how did you look at this and did you find this um, a more difficult task than you thought it would be an easier task How, how did you go into this ranking of the tv shows I'm sure you're a lot like me because you did your 100 song rankings or whatever and that every once in a while you just sit down and you're like, you know, I wonder what my favorite this is, my favorite that, movies, TV shows, whatever it is. I used to do rankings for all different types of things. Like what are my favorite, you know, sci-fi movies of the 80s? What are my favorite martial arts movies? And there have been a few times where I've sat down and done a top 100 list even of like my favorite movies um, and – it obviously changes a little over years. It's probably been 10 years since I've even tried to do something like this. As far as TV shows go, I've always ranked comedies and dramas separately. So I got very disappointed putting together this list and realizing, oh, this isn't in the top 10. This is always <laughs> in my top 10, only to realize, well, there's more than comedies in here. And then when I was asking you, like, okay, so are we sticking just with scripted shows? You're like, uh, let me put it this way. I've got, I won't spoil what it is, but I've got a talk show on here. So it's mm. whatever you want to put on. And that made it even harder because now I'm putting shows on here where I'm like, oh, how do you compare a Discovery Channel show to, you know, uh, the, the a drama that lasted for 10 years? Um, but mostly I just ranked it based on, you know, what are shows that I can go back to all the time? I'm quite disappointed. There's a couple of honorable mentions I'll probably mention on the end of this. 
that I wish there was a way I could fit in here. But these are sort of the shows that I could go back to and watch all the time. Sometimes it, there's a show that maybe it doesn't end on the best note, so it's going to be knocked down the list a little. Sometimes there's a show that, you know, it's been on the air for you know, 10, 15 years and only some of it's good, but the stuff that's good is so good you got to pu- uh, put it up a little higher. We'll have to make some explanations along the way. Uh, the only thing I will say is that uh, in putting everything on here, the one thing I did not include was any shows that were still on the air. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, there's a show uh, – that's something that I personally left off. We, we both do our own thing. But that's just because, you know, who knows? What if it ends up being the worst show ever in the last, you know, season or something like that? Uh, and there are a couple of shows that would definitely make this list, like the the DC shows like Arrow and The Flash – that are still going on and for all i know you know they're going to run for 10 more years and it's i'm just gonna be so disgusted by the end of it i can't even watch old stuff so these will all be shows i think for the most part that have ended already for me interesting see i I i've got plenty of shows on this list well not plenty but i've at least got a few shows on this list that are still definitely going so i find that fascinating particularly when it comes to two shows off the top of my head that then i feel are not going to appear on your list which i would all but assume being your top 10 i will <laughs> say say with a disclaimer to that there are two shows which are probably the ones you're thinking of <laughs> that uh may not be scripted shows that will appear on here just because it's i figure it's a little bit different with a scripted show because it's telling one long story and you know when you have shows let's just say it like you know reality shows maybe um it's going to change from season to season if they've been around long enough so Technically, there are, I think, at least three shows on here that are still on the air, but there are shows that have been on way longer than most of the ones that are on this list, so it's enough that I can make a bit of an exception. I think, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Um, I think kind of with mine, I didn't really have anything around that way, so, like, I mean, I just lumped comedies and TV show, uh, dramas and reality and just everything. I've got at least uh, three talk shows on my list, because I think that was one of the questions you sort of asked me, like, you know, do we include shows like mm-hmm. this? And I'm like, well, yeah, I've got, like, three on my list. Um, so, yeah, and I also I think that what I think will make this more interesting than the movies one that we'll bring you tomorrow is that I feel that you and I are both going to have a lot of shows on this list that maybe we're not familiar with, um, because mm-hmm. I've got a lot more Australian TV shows on this list than I would movies. So um, I think, off the top of my head, maybe there's only two Australian movies I have in my top 50, whereas this... <laughs> Yeah, a few more than that. So I think that's where it's going to be fascinating. And I really, honestly, I don't know if I can even guess your favorite TV show of all time. I don't know if we've really had this discussion. I mean, you probably clearly know mine, but I just don't know if I know yours. So I'm going to be intrigued for Mm -hmm. your top 10. Yeah, and my top 10's pretty much always been unshakable. There's a few shows in here that when we set our criteria, I'm like, okay, this one is okay to throw in there and then i was thinking oh it'll end up at 25 then i'm like no really i gotta put this higher than that uh when we get to my top five especially these are the shows that if you ask anybody who you know knows me well they would say those are your five shows those are the Mm -hmm. ones that you could watch every single night and never get sick of and it's probably the same with you you've probably podcasted several of your top five shows um uh, at least two of them might be in the top five. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my top five, well, technically three, actually. Um, five of them, my top five are basically, yeah, they have not changed in a long time. They mm-hmm. are, you know, when people would ask, I've always had a very solid top three, which really has not moved in 
God, since I was a teenager. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, looking at my top 10, there's a few that I was kind of surprised that I had as high as I did, and I found that a little bit tricky to kind of put them in a specific order. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of like... I don't, I, I'm gonna, I haven't really, I'm a stats guy. I like kind of going through a lot of stats things. So I actually want to kind of scroll through these when we're doing this and find out what the newest show is that I've got on this. I think it might be 2016 in terms of something that started, not that kind of, you know, like obviously I've still got shows that are going on or have ended before then. But yeah, similar to what you said about how an ending of a show, if it's that bad, can definitely bump it down and, there's one very big prime example on this list, which we will get to, which... Um, Is it I'd... Game of Thrones, Ben? Uh, yeah, sure, because I've watched... Were you that disappointed that. by the ending? <laughs> yeah, I caught up. I caught up on all eight seasons of it in the last week of it, and I've had my entire... I hey, finally came. You, you joke, but I mean, uh, granted, Jamie's on mat leave with twins right now, and there's a lot of time of just sitting there feeding babies and not being able to do much else. But she's watched six seasons of Game of Thrones since Game of Thrones ended three weeks ago. <laughs> Well, I've watched half of Suits in the last two months. Does that count for anything? <laughs> hey, I'm 11 episodes into season one. I've been 11 episodes into season one for the last three years. So one of these days I'll catch up. One of these decades I'll catch up on Suits. <laughs> and I'm telling you now, Suits is not in the top 50. <laughs> it's not a bad show by all means. I'm not saying it's a bad show. It's not really a good show either. It's kind of just like the the Survivor Panama of TV shows. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, have you watched Suits recently? Eh. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, so how we're going to do this, as I sort of briefly mentioned, is basically we're going to go th- sort of in 10 block, like blocks of 10. So we'll start off with 50 to 41. We'll each sort of read our, our 10 in that order. Then we'll kind of, I guess, have a bit of discussion around it. And then we'll sort of go one by one when it comes to our... Uh, top 10. Now, there is no sort of, uh, I guess, comparative list here. We're not going to combine them because, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's definitely going to be shows on this list that we both agree uh, top 50 worthy, but we're each going to have our our solo lists here, essentially. So, um, you know, you might sort of classify this as the top 83 TV shows of all time. You know, we might have Mm. 17 that I don't know, but uh, we'll we'll work this out. Uh, Who wants to go first, I guess, here, Colin? We haven't worked this out yet. Ah, uh, let's rock, paper, scissors. Sure, we can see our hands. Okay, rock, rock. paper, scissors. <laughs> oh, Ben wins. I did scissors. I legitimately did scissors. Okay, so, all right, I'll go from 50 to 41, and uh, I guess we'll just say something briefly about each one and then kind of go mm-hmm. over the things. All right, so... In number 50, I have, uh, and I don't know if you would have heard of this. Actually, you probably would have, because you like Doctor Who and you'd know who um, Billy Piper is. So, Secret Diary of a Call Girl in number 50. That ran from uh, 2007 to 2011. Uh, told the story of uh, a high-class uh, escort in London. It was based on um, an actual a novel series. And it's quite good. That's why it's in my top 50. I don't know how much I'm meant to be going into details here. Maybe I'll just go through them one by one and we can talk yeah. about them along the way. Number 49, uh, Californication. Um, good to see old David Duchovny change up from Mulder into Hank Moody and kind of get very disturbed at the fact that in the first episode he's having sex with a little girl from The Nanny. Um, she's grown up. Like, she's not little anymore, just to clarify that. Uh, number 48, I have Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which... 
surprised me that I actually put that in there because I've actually only watched it once through and it's been a while since I've watched it, but it's sort of stuck with me for a while. 47, uh, I don't know if this is going to be an unpopular opinion because I feel a lot of people hate this show more than they love it when, they, when it first came out. Uh, the Big Bang Theory, I have been at 47, uh, which obviously just ended and a decent ending, I will say. So there you go. Uh, the following at number 46, Kevin Bacon show that uh, sort of was in the mid-2010s. Um, sort of was up and down throughout it, but I think a very solid show and uh, James Purefoy in it as well. Really like him as well. Uh, 45 episodes, the Matt LeBlanc sort of fronted show on Showtime, which uh, was really good. Clearly, these I don't I have to keep saying they're really good because clearly they're in my top 50. <laughs> um, at n- number 44, a show which I doubt you and any of our listeners probably would have heard of. It's called Canal Road. It was a one-season Australian show that essentially we had a, a very big show here about a decade ago called Underbelly, which told the true story of this underground sort of mafia wars in Melbourne happening. And sort of after Underbelly finished, they put this Australian show on. It's got Grand Bowler in it, so uh, it's good. Again, Ooh. I don't have to keep saying that. Ooh! <laughs> it's good. <laughs> uh, now, number 43, I, I mentioned about shows that kind of dropped down because of their terrible ending. How I Met Your Mother at 43. Uh, that would have oh. probably been 10 spots higher had that not been for the most worst television ending in the history of TV. I saw a top 10 the other day, which was ranking the top 10 worst endings of all time. They had How I Met Your Mother at number two and Game of Thrones at number one. And I'm like, ah, recency bias? Come on, like... Everyone is in agreement that How I Met Your Mother pretty much has the worst ending of all time. Uh, 42, The X-Files. Uh, 41, 30 Rock. Uh, so that is... Uh, do I need to go to number 40? No, I don't. I go 50 down to 41. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can discuss some of these shortly. But I'm intrigued to hear yours because I don't know if any of those shows would be on your top 50 at all. Sure, let me respond to yours first before I forget them because I don't have your list in front of me. Um, <laughs> I've actually... I think I've only seen... Uh, a handful of those um a lot of them like californication you know i've heard good things about but it just when you know there's a show this is probably one of the things with you in game of thrones you know there's <laughs> a show that a lot of people love and say this is so great but the show's been on the air for so long do i really want to commit to however many weeks or months of watching one thing and you just never get around to it um same goes for the grand bowler show you know i, I i've heard so many good things about canal road it's on your list <laughs> yeah i just don't have the time to commit to one season apparently um <laughs> uh, but uh like with big bang theory i'd say that and how i met your mother is very similar for me is that i was a big fan of the show for a couple of seasons and then uh, it's something with american tv where they have so many episodes in one year and you just unless you're going to be so invested in it that you want to watch every week you miss a little bit and then after a while, you maybe stop caring. I just remember with Big Bang Theory specifically, the first four seasons of that, just loving the show. I think it was the funniest show on TV. And then eventually just being like, yeah, just I don't laugh as much anymore. And I'd watch a little bit every season, you know, an episode here and there and just not get into it. I did watch the last couple episodes, though, and I, I did really like how the show ended, though. I don't feel like it really maintained the humor all the way through. But I'll be with you. Like, the, if you go the first couple of seasons... It's up there as one of the funniest and most original sitcoms ever. How Much Your Mother, same thing. Um, I did watch a little bit of the last season, enough to see the finale, and wasn't very happy with it. (laughs) And then with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and X-Files, I'm going to be completely honest here. I don't really have a problem with either show. Jamie's a massive fan of both of those, and every once in a while we'll kind of go back and forth. Hey, let's watch this. Hey, let's watch this. 
uh, she'll pick one of those. And I'm always like, yeah, that's okay. Do you want to watch another one? I'm like, nah, I'm all right. Because uh, <laughs> they're very so, Monster of the Week heavy. That was kind of their thing that like, yeah. particularly with the X-Files, you either had a Monster of the Week or a Mythology episode. And it's kind of, and I think that's where it struggled when they brought it back recently. Because, you know, each of the newer seasons was only a, you know, six part series and yet they still tried to kind of I, I feel they had so much more they could have worked with in six episodes that they could have just really told this story and expanded on the mythology yet you still kind of had random monster of the week episodes which again there were two fantastic episodes in those ones and the rest were kind of very you know meh um they were very suits episodes um but yeah um yeah so let's move on to my 50 to 41 here uh, so my number 50, we talked a lot about this last year, Mission Impossible. Uh, this is like the classic 60s show. I'm just going to say there's going to be a lot of shows on here from before either of us were even born just because <laughs> I've, I've had a thing throughout my whole life of watching classic shows. And Mission Impossible, it was the 1980s, I wouldn't even call it a reboot, a sequel TV series that got me into watching this, which is the reason I got into the movies. I was way too young to really understand what was going on, but there was just something really cool about the music and all that. Uh, so eventually I started watching the old classic shows. And this is one of those where the last couple seasons, which I actually just finished watching the final seasons of the classic Mission Impossible, don't hold up that well. But the first four seasons specifically are so good. Uh, and there's so many like incredible twists every single week. Really one of the first shows that has like these big shocking twists on every single week. Uh, 49, Futurama, which... If you had asked me when the show was originally in the air, if it would ever make a top 50 list, I would have said no. Uh, when they did the the movies the, the, uh, after the series had been off the air, I got really into those. And then when they brought the show back, I started watching it, but then eventually said, well, let me go back and watch the classic episodes. And more than any other animated sitcom, you know, the Simpsons, Futurama, Family Guy, American Dad era, Futurama is the one that ages the best, where I feel like it's even funnier now than it was when it was originally in the air 20 years ago. Uh, 48, this is controversial for a lot of people in North America, The Office, the UK version, not hmm. the American version, which I have limited patience for. I enjoy it when it's on. But the Ricky Gervais version, uh, it's such a short-lived show. He did like two seasons, 12 episodes, and like two specials. But this is a perfect example where if the, the first uh, group of episodes you have are so good, just end the show. <laughs> because he ended when it was like the, the best sitcom on TV. It's so inappropriately funny at times, and it's not even like the Steve Carell stuff where you're like, ooh, it makes me cringe. But there are moments on the show where you're like, I don't know why that's funny, but it's so awkward and funny. It's just completely different humor. Uh, another British one here, 47 Black Adder, oh, uh, yes. which was Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. Pre-Mr. Bean, uh, which I got into after seeing Mr. Bean. Uh, and, and again, completely different idea for sure. The fact that every single season is telling a different story with a different, uh, I guess, ancestor. And it's just going up throughout time, going all the way to modern day. It, it's one of the most original ideas out there that anybody's ever had for a TV show. Uh, 46. This was my child, very, very young childhood favorite show, Knight Rider, with David Hasselhoff, The Talking <laughs> Car. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yeah, I know it. I, yeah. I, I struggled to put this one on the list because, again, I don't feel like it all holds up that well. But because I loved this show so much when I was two, three years old, <laughs> you know, I, I, it still holds like such a special place for me. I could watch this show. It just reminds me of being a kid. And I tried to show it to Casper, and he liked the opening credits, and that was it. <laughs> 45, another childhood favorite show here, Astro Boy, the animated <laughs> series. Uh, my ultimate favorite show, uh, cartoon show when I was a kid. Got the box set of, like, 82 episodes of the 1980s series. 
couple of years ago and watched it straight through. One of the few animated shows I could watch straight through. 44, Mad Men. Mm. I think we talked about this in a past episode. I don't think you've really seen it. No, I've never but, seen it. But uh, what, one of these shows, almost like Game of Thrones in the way that, you know, you have your lead characters, but you could have episodes focused on these side characters are so good. And there's a perfect example of a period show that nails everything about the period and never really disappoints because they go all the way from like the, the early 60s to basically close to the 70s. And that's got to be one of the best endings the show ever had. Like the final episode of Mad Men would probably rank in my top 10 finales of all time. 43, another British one. There's a lot of British stuff on here. Uh, Are You Being Served? Tell me you've seen Are You Being Served. I, I've seen snippets of it. I know what it is, but I've never sort of watched enough of it to grasp the whole idea of it. But I'm, I'm definitely aware of what it is. It's just a British sitcom from the 60s, 70s. I think it ran to the 80s. Uh, people working in a department store. I mean, broke pretty much every barrier. Was, you could say the first openly gay character on a tv show you know that they're making fun of him but they're having him make fun of other people again british humor totally inappropriate but just amazing uh number 42 parks and recreation uh something i would hold above even the uh british or the the american version of the office because it's very similar um another one that final season completely went off the rails with every every wild idea you could think of and yet somehow worked uh, 41, finally, Bates Motel. So this is one of the more recent shows that ended. Uh, this is like the uh, prequel, I guess you could say, to or retelling of the Psycho story. And, and just amazing. There's usually only one show on TV where I'm dedicated. I will watch this every week, and I'm obsessed with the show, and that was Bates Motel for me. So uh, that's 50 to 41. I don't know how many you've seen. I actually have barely seen any of them, um, but I'm aware of all of them. Um, I'm very sad to say that i've never really watched any either the u.s or the british office and i really would like to because i'm a huge ricky gervais fan huge ricky gervais fan um so i i really need to go back and watch that it's funny actually how you've sort of got um i guess cartoons kid shows i've, I've got at least one show from my childhood that's on here but i think you were talking about honorable mentions i had so many of like these nickelodeon shows from a kid that i had that i just mm. i just couldn't fit in there but um i i'm impressed to see the british ones on there because uh, i think you know you talk about shows that kind of run too long like the american style of thing like australian tv is very similar to the british model in that we kind of only ever usually have short seasons we only ever have a couple and they kind of you know quit while you're ahead sort of thing so mm-hmm. um i don't have as many british ones on there i think as clearly you're gonna have i think you've already got more in your first 10 than i've got on my <laughs> whole list but um i've at least got two I think Blackadder was a show that I've seen, you know, an episode here and there. Cause my dad loved it. So growing up, my dad would always kind of have Blackadder on and I, I never got into it as much as, as Mr. Bean um, and a couple of other of these sort of older British shows that I'll have on this list. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for the most part, I've just not seen many of those ones. And it's, I, I also find it interesting that you've got a lot of, I think the oldest show I've got on my list is from the late seventies. And then I've got another one from the early eighties and the rest are kind of like, <laughs> Uh, all very much into the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s. So, yeah, that's... um, I just don't like old things. I don't like you, Colin. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Do you want to... Do we just want to alternate and go back to me? Or do you want to now... All right. We can go back. Cool. Okay. We're going to go back, Kate. We're going to go back. We might hear that coming soon. All right. Uh, Number 40... (laughs) Number 40 uh, and... 
so there's, I guess there will be a bit of a trend on my list when it comes to two people. So there's an Australian comedian called Chris Lilly, uh, who if anyone's familiar oh, with, yeah. we, we, yeah, you, you're aware of Chris Lilly. So I've got at least three of his shows on here. And then also when it comes to Ryan Murphy shows, there will be a few Ryan Murphy shows on my list as well. So a bit of a trend with that. But at number 40, I've got Chris Lilly's first ever show that he did, We Can Be Heroes, which I don't know if you would have seen that one or not. But uh, basically, we did a review on uh, his latest Netflix, Netflix show about a month or so ago and Chris Lilly just basically plays all the characters he you know he dresses up as a woman and men and just like kids and sort of all this sort of stuff and the We Can Be Heroes one was the one that sort of kick-started things and it was about finding the Australian of the year so he played all these different characters hilarious and out of all the Chris Lilly shows probably my favorite character as in We Can Be Heroes is his Brisbane cop who basically rescued a kid got five minutes of fame and is trying to hang on to this fame for all of his life it, it reminds me of me <laughs> like this guy just <laughs> like just you have to watch it and you'll be like okay that's Ben um so that's it that's 40 talk about kids shows this is my kids show on this list at number 39 it's called Spellbinder um and it was basically this Australian kids show where it was about these um high school kids who get basically transported into another dimension and then sort of this kid's living there and they've got these you know they're all kind of like wizards sort of things called spellbinders who rule this land and it, it's really good like I, I bought it on DVD and like it's just one of these ones that I'll just binge watch one weekend because you know they're 20 minute episodes there's only like 20 of them so yeah really still love that show uh, 38 this is one of the ones that is still actually going this show hasn't ended yet uh, American Horror Story first Ryan Murphy show on the list as well uh, just you were talking about that sort of with Black Adder a little bit. I, I really like the style of American Horror Story, how kind of every season is its own season. Like, there are connections. They've connected some of the seasons together, but basically every season tells its own story. Um, and we talked about that during A Star Is Born as well. Like, Lady Gaga on one of the seasons was brilliant and just gets such great actors in that show. Uh, such, you know, and I'm not a horror fan, but it's not really that horror anyway. Uh, 37, True Blood. Now, that's a show that I never should have liked. Um, it was one of these ones <laughs> that everybody kind of, you know, oh, you got to watch it even if you don't like vampires. And I got sucked in. I, no pun intended. Um, it was, it was really good. And like, even if you don't like vampires, it's just kind of, it's done in a different way, which kind of actually really works. So... Uh, yeah, True Blood on that list. I have, I've got to rewatch it. It's been a while since I've watched it. Uh, the only New Zealand connection on this list at number 36, Flight of the Concords. There's a show oh. that lasted two seasons and that was enough. Like, and as in like, we, we want more, but like they ended it at the right time. They didn't just hang on for too long. And you're talking about random humor in like Blackout, like Flight of the Concords just has some of the most random stuff you will ever see and just hilarious. Uh, 35, this is one of those British shows that I sort of, my dad watched a lot and I really hooked into. I only ever had the two seasons of it, The Young Ones. Uh, just so good, so funny, and some of the most random comedy you will ever see. You literally have a pea and a carrot talking to each other as exposition in between two scenes, because why not? Um, so, and Rick Mayel, uh, love him. Sad that he's no longer with us. Uh, I was a huge Drop Dead Fred fan, so, yeah, great Great show. Uh, number 34. And I feel weird putting this on here because it's actually been a while since I've watched a newer episode of this show. But South Park, like, just, I think a lot of that comes down to growing up. That was just such a part of, you know, I was so obsessed with South Park when it first came out. Um, so I need to catch up on a lot of the newer stuff because I've heard good things about some of the newer episodes as well. 33. Laugh at me all you want. I don't care. Glee. 
<laughs> Glee was a show again that I avoided because I'm like, oh, I don't like musicals. That just seems dumb. And I'm like, but it's Ryan Murphy, so why not? And then I just got suckered in and the songs are entertaining. And it's just kind of that great level of Ryan Murphy's quirk that he kind of has. But, you know, even he's admitted that, you know, the, the popularity of the show got to him a little bit with some of the later seasons, but still a pretty solid show. And even if you think it was dumb it's still actually quite good 32 another australian show and the first talk show on this list it's called mcauliffe tonight there's a an australian comedian called sean mcauliffe who is just hilarious he's, to me he's one of the funniest australian comedians he's just so smart clever i'd almost call him like the australian stephen colbert in some aspects he's just he's just so clever and this sarcastic type of humor and he had a very short-lived uh late night show in 2003 that probably only lasted like 16 episodes but just some of the some of the humor was just oh beyond the beyond funny like it just i can't even explain it you've got to track down some clips of it it's great and at number 31 a uh, fairly recent show that only lasted for a couple of seasons the newsroom the the jeff daniels one the alan sorkin penned one uh i mean as a journalist i've never worked in a tv newsroom but it's kind of i, I think a lot of it hits an nail on the head it's very cleverly done and if you like the West Wing, you like Alan Sorkin's kind of like really quick-witted, you know, dialogue. It's, you know, very similar. But I think it was a very well-done show. And, yeah, it's a shame it only lasted for three seasons. Uh, uh, okay, so first of all, I'm just going to tell you, don't be embarrassed about Glee. That show, at least for the first three seasons, that was fantastic. Uh, I thought you would laugh exactly at me. Like I thought you. you'd be like, Glee, you like No, ben. no. I mean, I, I will laugh at you if you're like, I love seasons four, five, and six. But, no, um, no, I can't I, remember I, it. I got into that. I'm kind of like you. I mean, I didn't get into that show really when it first came out because I thought this is made for like 12-year-old girls, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that, you know. Um and the previews looked like it was made for 12-year-old girls. Uh, I would have been somebody laughing. I, I would go to 7-Eleven. They had Glee Slurpee cups of the characters. I'm like, there is no way I'm watching this show. Uh, but it was just randomly like when it usually comes close to Christmas or whatever. You know, you start watching, you know, episodes of TV shows you love that did Christmas-themed episodes, stuff like that. And because Glee was a musical, I think one time we, Jamie and I went on Netflix. We're like, well, let's see Glee. Maybe they had like some good Christmas musical episodes. And we watched this the Christmas ones. We're like, this show is actually really clever. Yeah. Like, like it's almost like a satire of, you know, high school life. And very similar to another thing, which isn't technically, a t I'll just say not technically a TV show. I would have put Peanuts on here, like Charlie Brown, except that was like they do one animated special every year. So it was never a TV show. But similar to that. It's a show that basically made humor out of bullying. It wasn't making light of it, but it was, let's find the humor in this. You can actually laugh at you know some of these kids who are getting bullied, what they're getting bullied for, and you can laugh at the way they're getting bullied, but it's not doing it in a disrespectful way. Uh, they definitely lost a lot when they refused to let go of characters who aged out of the role, and now <laughs> in, instead of this being a high school show, let's follow everybody else at their you know, new colleges and, you know, jobs and stuff like that. And then the new characters they brought in in later seasons were just terrible and boring. But yeah, first three seasons, fantastic. I mean, we watched, uh, I think, I think the only thing we haven't seen all the episodes of was season five, just because uh, it started to get really dull. But we'll go back and watch it one of these days. Uh, American Horror Story, just something to say on that. I've never seen one episode, uh, but the the one show that's still technically scripted show that's still technically running that I wanted to put on this list that I could tell you right now would instantly be a top 20 show is Fargo, similar to American Horror Story. It's an anthology show. And I almost was ready to put it on there. 
um, because it's the exact same thing. Every single season is its own story that takes place in different time periods. I mean, the first season took place during like 2006 or something like that. The second season was like 1970, and then they go up to 2010. Uh, and they're all loosely connected. But I, I love this new format of anthology shows that's come out like American Horror Story and Fargo because you can have a completely different show every single season. Uh, the other one I want to comment on was the uh, – I don't even remember what you said the show was, but Chris Lilly. Uh, it was probably maybe two years ago. There were these two girls that were uh, I was working with, and one of them graduated or something. The other one did like this big display. I got the same thing when I graduated too. It was like uh, – uh, you know, let's decorate the desk and stuff like that. And there was a picture of some guy, girl. I couldn't tell what it was. I mean, <laughs> it was probably Chris Lillian Drag or something like that. But I'm like, what is that? And they started describing this this guy, Chris Lillian. He's hilarious. And they're both huge fans. I'm like, and they said, oh, it's some Australian comedian. Huh? And I think I asked you that same day. I'm like, who's Chris Lilly? <laughs> and since then, I've seen some YouTube videos, but never actually gone back and watched any of the, the I'll original have to send shows. You them. I'll have to, because I mean, they're, they're all basically the same. I mean, but it's just each of them, and like a lot of them, he'll carry over characters from. So the one you probably saw is Jamay, which is probably his most famous character. That's the one John Carroll's obsessed with, like because they did a spin-off show just on um, her, and basically it's just him as a you know a sixteen-year-old you know private school girl who goes to a public school and it's just an absolute bitch. But like it's mm. just it's just hilarious, and just started off so many catchphrases and everything. There's a there's two more I'll have on this list, but there's one that was like the peak of you know absolute popularity for him and that was a season that's a show that came after we can be heroes but yeah mm. uh just kind of a segue here responding to what you're talking about like the format of australian tv shows being different with shorter seasons and all that um canadian tv shows have a kind of a combination of the american and the the british slash australian format uh in that most of our seasons are usually like 13 episodes or whatever sometimes you get one that runs longer than that but it's like there's an expected shelf life of every Canadian show where if it's a successful show, it only runs for five seasons. Like I can run through the list of the most successful Canadian shows of all time. Flashpoint, you know, that, there's one that was huge even outside of Canada. I watched that. I watched uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. You're a fan of that one. You know, Saving Hope is another one with Erica Durance that we covered a couple episodes on recently. Rossi and I. Very successful show. Ran for five seasons. The most popular Canadian shows I can think of ran for five seasons. My number 40 is arguably the most successful Canadian show of all time because it actually ran for... Well, Degrassi, I guess, would be the one exception. It ran, Ah. I don't know, 28 seasons. (laughs) It's not on the list, though. I'm sorry to say it. Damn it. it. Um, But uh, this is the biggest Canadian sitcom of all time. And it's a show that ran for six seasons. And what makes this all the more impressive is that Canadian TV shows, uh, I don't know if it's the quality, the budget, or just the fact that because... In Canada, you pick up all of the American networks already. So there's so much competition that the Canadian networks will just say, well, we want we, we know that people are going to be watching the American shows because so much of the American media is so close. Let's just air the American shows. So really, you, you have a very small chunk of network TV in Canada is made up of Canadian shows. So if a Canadian show is successful, it's not even necessarily a top 10 show. But this show, number 40 I have, is called Corner Gas. I know you've uh, talked which, about that. I've heard you talk about that before. Yeah, it's it's basically a show that takes place primarily in a gas station in a small town of Saskatchewan in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and if you've ever lived in a small town, it definitely helps with the humor of the show. Rossi didn't get a lot of it when we covered it. But this show was so huge that the final episode of Corner Gas ranked 
in the top five most watched episodes in Canadian television history, not just Canadian shows, everything. It was ranked up there with like the Friends finale and the Seinfeld finale hmm. as one of the most watched episodes in television history in Canada. And um, the greatest thing about Corner Gas is that they ended it like a lot of these shows on here just because like we're at the top. We don't want to push this. You know, so they, they they basically said, let's end at, after six seasons at the height of the popularity. But they've never been um, opposed to bring it back. So they actually did a Corner Gas movie a couple of years ago. Uh, and they did like a live tour where all the cast members would go from city to city and, you know, uh, do a little bit of comedy and stuff like that. And they just brought in the Corner Gas animated series that has all of the cast members back to do the voices. So, I mean, this is almost like, you know, the Canadian Mr. Bean, just that it's, it's a small, short-lived show, short-lived by, you know, uh, other standards, long-lived by Canadian standards, that just keeps going. Uh, but believe it or not, it's one of only two Canadian shows I think I have on my list here, huh. uh, just because the quality isn't as high for Canadian shows, and we don't get as many original scripted shows because of all the American stuff we get. Uh, 39, this is one of my... Uh, break the mold ones that that I added at the last minute because I'm like, oh, I can't not include this. this is Mythbusters. Now, do you have Mythbusters over there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it's huge, yeah. huge over here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if nobody's seen it, it's a Discovery Channel show where you just have these two guys who basically have backgrounds and special effects. They worked on the Star Wars prequels and Matrix movies and stuff like that. And they'll come up with some type of myth, and they're like, uh, you know. Uh, let's take this scene from this movie, or sometimes it's just, here's this urban legend, can we prove if this exists or not? And most of those Discovery Channel shows I'll watch every once in a while, but this was a show where one winter I just downloaded every episode and watched them over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, the movie specials especially are are always entertaining, but obviously in the later seasons, you know, they started to run out of some ideas, but... Everybody always quotes like, oh, remember when Mythbusters cooked a turkey inside of a car engine and stuff like that? (laughs) Um, But that's one of the few shows here that break the mold. 38, this is one that if you had gone back when it originally was on the air, I probably wouldn't have had it high. That's a news radio. Uh, This was a a NBC sitcom from the 90s that um, it starred Dave Foley, who was uh, Canadian from a Canadian comedy group called Kids in the Hall, which almost made my list as well. Uh, but it had so many other actors who went on to big things after that too, like Andy Dick and Phil Hartman was kind of the um, the, the the big scene stealer on the show, and then he died. They replaced him with John Lovitz. But the entire show just took place in you know, uh, a news radio station, <laughs> and uh, every single character is it's almost like Cheers, where every single character would be given their own time. Uh, it was really good, is <laughs> all I could say. Uh, but uh, I. I still go back and watch news radio episodes now and that's kind of when i go with these more older sitcoms i'm like what is one that i could watch now and enjoy more than newer stuff that's on the air uh 37 another one that uh when it was originally on the air i was too young to get and that's coach with craig t nelson um if you're not familiar with this one they they tried to bring it back recently but he's basically a minnesota college football coach and again it's just your typical you know 80s 90s sitcom uh, but every single character, you know, uh, complete scene stealers from even the supporting characters in here. But Craig T. Nelson especially is what made this show because I think I started watching this in reruns once the show was already off the air. And if you've ever wanted to see like the greatest, greatest stressed out, grumpy, middle-aged, leaning towards older guy, Craig T. Nelson nailed it. And if, uh, if I did a list and I've always thought about doing this who is the greatest actor in the history of television. You did an Emmy for greatest comedy actor of all time. I would put Craig T. Nelson in coach at number one. Hmm. Uh, 36, here's another kid's show, The Adventures of Tintin. Huh. Um, 
Now, this is something that I think in America, people are only really familiar with the Steven Spielberg movie that came out. But I got really into the Tintin books, the comics, I guess, when I was a kid. And then they eventually did that. It was actually co-produced as a Canadian uh, animated series. They adapted every single book. And there's the perfect way to do an animated show based on books. They just said, we're not going to do original stories. We're going to take every book and we're going to do two parts. And so one day you would watch you know, Prisoners of the Sun, part one, and the next day, and they would just adapt the books exactly as they were. It's basically the most accurate adaptation you ever get. And I still think the Tintin comics are as good as most you know, novels out there nowadays. Uh, 35, Game of Thrones, Ben's favorite. Uh, <laughs> didn't end so well, but I will say this mostly on the ending, because, I mean, I think the first five seasons were the best. Season five was, like, easily the best show on television, I think, at that point. And then season six started to dip a little. Season seven dipped a little. Season eight really shouldn't have existed. Uh, but I think that the show ended the way it needed to, but there was about 20 minutes on the end where they were sort of just showing this is what's going to happen to everybody, where they just made all the wrong choices. But the dramatic ending of the show, still good enough. Uh, good enough that Jamie can sit there and watch it. Um, <laughs> 34, a very short-lived show, uh, but... Um, Probably the most expensive show I would argue ever made, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I remember we'll be talking that. about. Yeah, yeah, and I'm hoping we'll be talking about it in the movies as well. But uh, after the uh, the trilogy ended, George Lucas wanted to do the Young Indiana Jones as a TV series, but he didn't want cheap out on it. So they spent like outrageous amounts of money. If there was an episode that took place in Africa, he's like, we're going to Africa and we're filming here. If they were doing a World War II episode and it was taking place in Belgium or France, they'd go to Belgium and France. They would go all out. It was the first TV show to really use CGI. Uh, like The production values are insane, and mostly because of the cost of it. It only really lasted a season and a half, but they still found a way to keep the show going. Uh, by doing some TV movies just to continue the story. And the other great thing about it is that it, it had no linear storytelling. One episode would be Indiana Jones at the age of 21 in the middle of a war, and then the next week you'd go back and see Indiana Jones at the age of nine, and there's a different actor. And they just wh- whatever story they wanted to tell, they'd jump all over the place. Uh, also, I really only watched this show a little bit when it first came out and then got into it more when they started releasing it on DVD years later. Um, 33, Arrested Development, one that just ended. Uh, maybe the funniest modern comedy, like modern is in the last 15 years. Uh, and if you're not familiar with this one, it's the most insane family in the history of television. Uh, rich people who are complete imbeciles and there's the one sane member of the family uh, I, I will say I'm not completely done the show. I um, I think they released it back in March, the final season, and we were just getting ready to move, and then we were just getting ready to have babies. So I've been watching like one episode a day for the last few days, just trying to finish season five. But I'm sure it's not going to end as badly as uh, um, I don't how know I Game of Game of Thrones, <laughs> How I Met Your Mother, or Lost. Uh, Thirty two. Oh, this is another fair. one. Thirty two is another one that's nostalgia. Family ties. This was Michael ah. J. Fox's breakthrough show, yes. uh, and I don't even remember. I, I was so young when the show was on that I don't even remember starting to watch the show. I just remember that from the youngest age I could remember, I idolized Michael J. Fox on the show, and he was the exact opposite of what you should be idolizing. My parents were very. Uh, I guess you could say post hippies. Um, <laughs> Uh, definitely not uh, um, capitalists in any way. And Michael J. Fox was playing, you know, the capitalist to these two hippie parents. 
and I idolized this guy who was just all about money and power and stuff like that. And my parents must have been terrified for me, but uh, I, I do own a couple of seasons of this. I go back and watch it. I think the show does hold up, not as well as you know some of the other sitcoms from the 80s that I have on here, but I think it still holds up well. And finally, 31, Lost. Um, oh, wow. That's low. On yours. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. Season 1, 2 of Lost, great. Season 3, some really good things, but the first half of the season just stunk. Seasons four and five, when they reduce the episodes, that's when I think they really nailed it. Season five especially is probably my favorite. Uh, and I think the ending of season five, as much as it is a cliffhanger, would have been a great ending the series. This is just a perfect example of how the last season can really kill it. And there's nothing particularly wrong with the last season. It's just it's such a step down. And it just felt like we ran out of ideas after season five. Let's just come up with a bunch of random things going on and just not put any real planning into it. So I could say this show would easily be a lot higher if it had ended with season five. So you mentioned family ties. Um, when I first started dating Mallory, basically everyone would always say <laughs> like from my family, like, oh, Mallory, like from family ties. Uh, and Mallory's, <laughs> Mallory's like, I never got that until I came to Australia. Like, no one ever said that to me until I came to Australia. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, okay. Yo, but the, it's funny. I've, I've seen so I've, many more Mallory's in media now, like Mallory from James Bond. There was something else I watched recently that had a Mallory in it as well. I just wanted to say this is weird because I'm a huge Jason Bateman fan. You know, he's mm. obviously the star of Arrested Development uh, and he's become huge in movies. Uh, but his sister, Justine Bateman plays Mallory on Family Ties. Now, I wouldn't consider myself a Justine Bateman fan. I, I feel wrong now as somebody who just loves Jason Bateman so much that Justine Bateman ranks higher on my list than Arrested <laughs> Development. But I'll leave the rankings as they are for now. Arrested Development is definitely a show I want to watch. I've definitely I've seen a few episodes and I've, I've really enjoyed it. Like It used to be on really late at night on a, a TV station in Australia and I just remember flicking channels and I found it, like, I find that type of humor funny. It's kind of like when I had 30 Rock on the list, it's kind of that new style of, like sitcom sort of comedy where they do that. Like, I mean, I'm not a modern family fan, but like, there's definitely some other ones that have been big. Uh, Mallory was watching, uh, was it the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt or whatever it was on Netflix. Oh yeah. Um, and I said to her, I'm like, look, if you like this, you will like 30 rock. I mean, it's got Jane Carol Crow. I cannot say her last <laughs> name. You know who I'm talking about. She's in it. And I think even Tina Fey appears in a bunch of episodes and I love Tina Fey. So, and you mentioned Parks and Recreation, one I've never watched, but I would like to as well. Cause I like Amy Poehler or whatever her name is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, I, I'm, I'm shocked that Lost is so low, but I can definitely see your viewpoint on that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I've never seen, I don't think most of the other ones. Well, but I'm familiar with them except for coach. I don't know if I've really heard of coach before. So, uh, news radio was one that I think I would flick, but I mean, I was too busy watching Veronica's closet and suddenly Susan to uh, care about <laughs> news radio. <laughs> but you're a big ER fan. I think we talked yes. about Maura Tierney and something yes. else, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she, she, yeah. She really got started on news radio and I still think it's the best that like you wouldn't expect her to be as funny as she is, but she's hilarious kind of as the straightest person on that show. Well, because she was in Liar Liar around that time too, wasn't yeah. she? So, um, you know, it's funny uh, talking about sort of like random 90s sitcoms because Mallory's such a big Ryan Reynolds fan. I've had to try to explain to her about Two Guys, A Girl and a Pizza Place. I don't know oh, if you yeah. ever watched that. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, that's where I knew Ryan Reynolds from. Like, that's when he's... I used to love that show. That was a good show. Um, all right. That's it not on my top 50, though. <laughs> it's not on the list. All right. So, 30 to 21. 
and yeah, I've really sort of bucked the trend with your sort of not current shows because I'm realizing here I've got a lot of current shows on this list. Uh, number 30, Homeland. Now, Homeland was definitely a show where it was brilliant at the beginning. Like, it was just so compelling. I know, I know you talked about this recently, I think, when we did... Well, not recently for our listeners. You'll hear it later on in the year when we talk about Terminator 3. But um, you talked about Claire Danes, but uh, and we had differing opinions on that. But I, for one, loved the early... The early stuff was fantastic. And, like, we really dipped... I think it was about... What up to about season seven now? Season six, I think it was, was just terrible. It nearly made me give up. But then the most recent season was actually quite good. So they've only got one more season to go. So... And Mandy Patinkin, like that beard. Does oh, he have yeah. the best beard on television? <laughs> 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 Just putting it out there. Um, 29, another current show, uh, Better Call Soul. Now, uh, this is, I think there's one other show that started after this. So this is maybe the second most recent show on my list. But look, again, just... I don't think you've ever seen Breaking Bad, um, but like you know, if you're going to have a pre, this may be the greatest prequel that you've ever had of a TV show. Bob Odenkirk is fantastic, thoroughly deserves his own show. And the thing about Better Call Saul is, I think you can watch it on its own steam without having ever seen Breaking Bad either. So like you can you can watch it without having to know everything with Breaking Bad. But I, it's just it's just cleverly done, and the fact that you know Vince Gilligan sort of he says like, oh, I sort of know when it's going to end. But, you know, it sounds like the Lost Riders back in the day. So he's obviously got to set a few things up in the lead up to uh, Breaking Bad. But, yeah, still very, very good. Uh, 28, this is uh, another talk show on my list. I had to put it on there just because I grew up idolizing this man. Late show with David Letterman. Just, oh, just... That who that's who I wanted to be. That's growing up. That the reason I wanted to be a late night talk show host was just David Letterman. Love his humor. Love his comedy. Just love the guests. Love, love the mixture of everything about that show. I would always stay up as late as I could to watch that. Uh, you know, whenever I was allowed to. And I was lucky enough to go see it live. The first time I went to New York, I was lucky enough to be in the audience for one episode. So, yeah, just absolutely love the late show with David Letterman. Uh, Angry Boys. That's another. This is another Chris Lilly one. It was uh, sort of. It's. Out of all the Chris Lilly shows, it's not one that often gets up. This is the one I think they got the most uh, money put into it because this is when HBO picked him up. Uh, so kind of, you know, he had a lot more scope with it. Uh, he got a bit of controversy around it because he did this rapper called S Mouse, S Dot Mouse, and it was kind of like him wearing blackface and sort of as an American rapper. But it's just hilarious. He's just so cleverly done. And the thing with all Chris Lilly shows is that they're so funny, but there's always, like, this really emotional storyline that it continues through, and then it kind of just comes out of nowhere. So you'll get, like, a, an episode towards the end, and somebody will die or something will happen, and, and you're just not expecting it because you're just expecting to laugh in every episode, and you're like, holy fuck, that's dark. Um, so, yeah, grand's that character in that one. Really good. Uh, 26, one I really doubt you would have heard of. It's called The Complete Adventures of Lano and Woodley. There's a... Comedic duo in Australia called Lano and Woodley, funnily enough. Shailene um, Woodley? What? L- L- Lano and Woodley. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, they're just, a, they're just a comedy duo, do a lot of stand-up, and they just sort of had a very short-lived, I think they just went for two seasons of a TV show. It was just basically them living in an apartment together, and it was very much, I guess you could almost say it's kind of like the, um, uh, the Three Stooges, very physical comedy, just, you know, hilarious and i've gotten mallory into lane on woodley like they've had two stand-up dvd specials and then i made her watch this show and she loved it she absolutely loves it it's very funny uh and then frank woodley actually one of the halves did a show about a few years ago which is kind of very similar to mr bean but yeah just very funny 25 here we go colin hilding getting ready to laugh at me and i don't give a shit number 25 desperate housewives 
That's oh, right. <laughs> Can we just... see where people stop listening to this episode? <laughs> the thing that I like about Desperate Housewives is just the mixture of just kind of just like over the top silliness mixed with the intrigue, and it was a it was a show because like you would remember the time this came out. It was this came out when Lost came out, so like these were the yeah. two shows that everybody was watching, and so I got caught in the hype train, started watching, and actually really liked it. It was maybe kind of like Glee in the fact that it's like it's a show I shouldn't really like or want to watch. But I, I really got into it. And I remember my mum, like, I kept saying to mum, like, you've got to watch this, you've got to watch this. And she's like, no, it looks stupid, it looks stupid. She finally, I think I got the first season DVD and she just binged it. She's like, oh, my God, that show's great. Um, so just... Is this the only instance of a young male <laughs> desperately trying to talk his mom and watching Desperate Housewives? Probably. Uh, and the thing I say about Desperate Housewives too is that it's one of these shows that, like, took a real risk on a on a twist to do. They, I think, I don't know what season it was. But they essentially said, right, we need to come up with something new. It's getting a bit stale. We're going to fast forward the timeline five years. And straight away, you're like, oh, that's Jump the Shark. Like, that's stupid. But it actually really worked. And it gave the show a couple more seasons, which just really worked. And the ending of Desperate Housewives, which is, you were talking about, like, you know, top 10 season finale. I don't know if I'd give it top 10, but it was done in a way that it like basically ends on a cliffhanger, but you wouldn't expect anything less of Desperate Housewives to do what they did at the ending. So I think it was clever. So fuck it. I own it. Desperate Housewives. It's there. Um, 24, which I don't know if you, you might've heard of this cause it, it made, it would have made headlines in Canada when they did this really big stunt, the chases war and everything. It's, they're a group of comedians who basically did sort of like a satire news show where, they would just each week come in and talk about, you know, topics, and then they would just do, like, outlandish stunts. So they would do, like, this thing they call the ad road test, where they would show a commercial that's on TV and go, like, would this work in real life? So, like, there was some ad where, like, these people went in, they had, like, chocolate milk, and, like, they went into a, a clothing store and by them drinking this chocolate milk and singing a song, they got like a girl's phone number or something like that. So they would go into random clothing stores with hidden cameras and this chocolate milk and like sing these songs to pretty women. And they would all be like, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of the store. Um, and the one they got really like when we had uh, one of those presidential summits in Australia, like APEC or whatever, they basically were trying to see how close they could get to George W. Bush and they pretended to be a Canadian motorcade of, like, the Canadian Prime Minister and they got through, like, every single checkpoint and one of them was dressed as Osama Bin Laden and they could have, like, it made global headlines of, like, you know, how stupid are they? They could have been snipered and, oh, just so witty and hilarious, so good. Uh, 23, now this is one of these ones that I think a lot of people would rank down now because so many people hate the ending of this show, Dexter. Um... Yeah, the last, like, two seasons weren't very good. I, for one, am not one of these people who absolutely despises the ending. I don't think it's good, but I don't think it's honestly as bad as everyone says it is. It's just kind of you ended on, like, oh, okay, that's where it ended. But, like, at its peak, I mean, again, we'll talk about this, no doubt, when we both talk about 24, I'm assuming, later on. But, like, for a show that starts off so good, like, particularly the first two seasons, like, there's really not a bad episode in the first two seasons... A lot of people complain, like, about the third season. Eh, it's not that good. But I actually didn't mind the third season. But then you come along to the fourth season, which basically is maybe the best thing they ever did. Similar to 24 when it came to season five. Like, the fact that you can all of a sudden pull this quality out of your butt, like, just so good. 
Um, and lots of talk about this being re- rebooted. I really think this will get rebooted at some point. It will come back. But, um, yeah, Dexter, great show. Uh, 22, uh, we joke about suits. Now, I'm not a big legal show person. I watched Judging Amy growing up. <laughs> That's not on the list. Don't worry. Uh, but Damages, um, just oh, yeah. Glenn Close. Mad, mad Glenn Close fan, obviously. Rose Byrne is fantastic in this show. But just like... Glenn Close might have one of the most compelling characters in the history of TV with Patty Hughes. Just such a great show. And one of the greatest endings. Just It basically ends on this shot of her face. for like I swear it lasts for five minutes. It's almost disturbing how long you are staring at this woman's face for at the end. And then it just fades to black. Just such a great show. And at number 21, uh, I don't know how you feel about this sitcom, Will and Grace. Now... <sighs> When it came back, it started off so well. I used to say, like, oh, like this is the first time I've seen a show come back and it's basically exactly the same, retained everything. It's great. But recently, it's just turned into a preach fest. Every single episode is talking about an agenda and it's just, it's just, it's, it's hard to watch now, I feel. But at its peak, Will and Grace, one of the shows I've laughed at the most, just with the humor and just the chemistry of the cast, too. Like, all four of them just work off brilliantly. And the fact that you kind of have the two side characters in Jack and Karen overtake the two leads is, like, even more funnier. Like, oh, yeah, Will and Grace, fantastic show. And Eric McCormick, proud Canadian. Yeah, uh, he was on another show. It doesn't make my list here, but um, he was playing, like, a... Uh, it was like a math professor that was helping yeah. the FBI. Did you ever see the yeah. one? Yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, I think mm-hmm. I nearly watched it purely because he was in it. I, I don't know mm-hmm. how I could watch... Eric. There are certain people that I see that I don't know if I can watch them in a role outside of comedy. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I think he would be good, uh, but, but I've only ever seen him in, like, you know, comedy things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Can you just do me a favor and just very quickly run down your last thing? Because there was one show you talked about in there, and I forget which one it was. I wanted to say something on it. Uh, so, Homeland, Better Call Saul, Late Show with David Letterman, Angry Boys, Complete Adventures oh, yeah. of Lennon Woodley, Desperate Housewives, Chases War and Everything, Dexter, Damages, and Will and Grace. Okay, so I'll actually start, this is the one I forgot, The Late Show. Because, again, it's it's so different putting a show like that on here. But there, here's the thing. I'm so big into late-night talk shows. Um, growing up, it was sort of like you. I'd stay up to watch these. I mean... Once I got to the age where I was old enough to, you know, your parents don't care. Hey, you want it? it's summer vacation? Stay up, do whatever you want. Um, that's what I would do. I would watch all of them. You know, there'd be Leno and then Conan O'Brien. There was Letterman, and uh, I think Tom Snyder was originally as. Um, <laughs> eventually, Craig Ferguson did that as well. Strombopoulos. Uh, What's that Canadian guy? George Strom. George, Strombol- George Strombolopoulos. <laughs> yeah. I like him. I've seen him when yeah. I've been in Canada. I like him. Yeah, th- I mean. The whole format of late night talk shows, like, I don't know, it's weird that me and you were saying this, there's got to be other kids like that out there. That when you're a kid or even like a young teenager, it just seems like the most exciting thing in the world. Maybe it is because you're allowed to stay up late, <laughs> but it gives you variety. Like, you get the monologues and everything. I used to, when I was a teenager, I would record um, both of them. We had like two VCRs in the house. And I would record one on NBC, you know, to watch Letterman and or sorry, uh, CBS to watch Letterman. I'd record Conan and Leno on uh, NBC. And then, you know, I would watch them sometimes the next morning or sometimes I'd watch one recording the other. But I basically could never miss those. Uh, The one that I really would have included on here would have been the original Late Night with Conan O'Brien. I don't know if you you got that as much there. Uh, Obviously, the whole controversy with when he took over The Tonight Show 
it's it's I don't feel like it was the best thing for Conan O'Brien's career to ever take on the Tonight Show because I remember reading an article of his uh, from like years before this deal even came through where they said, "Would you do the Tonight Show?" And he says, "I think there's so much stuff that we do on our show that you wouldn't be allowed to do one hour earlier." And I feel like the the reason it didn't work with him on the Tonight Show was because it was more of a later late night crowd, uh, you know. And Letterman, the the thing just with him is that he is that he may be the most brilliant interviewer there is because he could make mm. an awkward interview brilliantly awkward, like the Joaquin Phoenix one. I don't yes. even know if Letterman knew what was going on, <laughs> but it, it's better if he didn't know what was going on. Paris uh, Hilton I, one I, the where reason he just all but comes out and he's like, oh, so how's jail? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many. I mean, you're a Madonna fan. You're probably from oh, Madonna God, yes. and, you know, Letterman Absolutely. one, right? Absolutely, yeah. uh, And you got to give some props. Even, like, so many people dump on Jay Leno, but... Jay Leno had some moments of brilliance and the fact that he struggled so much for a few years and then basically dominated. I mean, say whatever you want about, uh, oh, they shouldn't have, you know, uh, given Conan O'Brien the Tonight Show. The ratings were still high even when Leno came back, regardless of who that was with. And I always remember the night that Leno, I I used to follow like the late night wars and obviously the late show movie was so exciting too. Great Uh, movie. Yeah. And and if you remember uh, the night that Leno actually for the first time took the lead and never left it again was when he had Hugh Grant on after there was a whole scandal of him picking up the prostitute mm-hmm. and his first question to Hugh Grant, like this is, this is like landing an interview with, you know, the, the biggest scandal of the time. And the first thing he says to him was like, what were you thinking? And everybody just bursts out <laughs> laughing. And even Hugh Grant kind of laughs and I'm just, okay, this guy's really got it too. So I, I have, I have so much love for late night talk shows. Uh, but just because it, it, you know, how do you write? Oh, season three was definitely the best of <laughs> Letterman. We, Hard for me to put it on there. We never, like, Letterman was the only one that was ever on free to air here. Like, Leno and Conan were both on uh, cable, which, like, when we had it, I would sort of watch them. So I never really got into them. More so Conan, because I think when he switched to, what is it, TBS or whatever the channel yeah. he went to, I think they started showing that on free to air. And then they eventually started showing Jimmy Fallon on one of the channels as well. So, but yeah, Letterman was kind of, our only choice really because um yeah we didn't we didn't have leno unless it was on pay tv um some of the other shows it is funny that you said well oh we're probably gonna have like 84 shows on this list we're both running to a lot of things like you know i've always wanted to watch the show but i haven't because yeah. this is the interesting thing about tv is that there's so much tv out there mm-hmm. that you and i could both have lists of these shows that were insanely popular and they don't even appear in the other ones like dexter i've never seen one episode of dexter uh, the reason being is that the end of the show, in fact, I was just talking to somebody this past week and they were mentioning like, if you want a show that just ended and just left a sour taste in your mouth so you could never go back and watch even the good stuff, and that was Dexter, and that's what they were saying. Um, I sort of said, when you get these shows that have been on the air for a long time, once it's like seven seasons is what Dexter was? Uh, eight? I think it went to eight. Eight seasons? No. Seven or eight, yeah. Whatever, eight. whatever it was. When you know that the ending sucks before you even watch the first episode, <laughs> yeah. it just gives you no motivation. So yeah. that's why I kind of said with Lost, like I feel like Lost season five, cliffhanger or not, would have been a great way to end the series. Just find a way to tie it up there. Because even if you know season six of Lost sucks, it's still worth watching the first five seasons, you know? And I don't know if Dexter's one of these things where you could watch the first five seasons and then just leave De- it there. De- Dexter's kind of like 24, I think, that like... Mm-hmm. I mean, you, after episode four of season six of 24, it's kind of nothing really unique and new changes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas like Dex is kind of that. Um, there's still decent stuff, but 
you know, without giving too many spoilers away, you know, if you ever want to watch it, it's kind of, yeah. And and I'll just give a preview of my thoughts on Homeland that we're going to mention in a few months. But (laughs) for me, I will say Mandy Patinkin was brilliant on that show. Um, I, I sort of have this thing when there's a show I'm really into and it ends, I try to find another show that's similar to that. And when 24 was wrapping up one of its many times, that's when I started trying to check out Homeland because it seemed so similar to 24. Uh, but I don't know what it was. Like uh, there was some things where the show just seemed more implausible, even though it probably isn't more implausible than 24. Maybe it just took itself too seriously. Claire Danes and Damian Lewis just bother me so much. Like I don't, ah, I couldn't boo. even put my finger. I feel like Claire Danes is such an over actor in that show. And I don't think she always is. Uh, but Manny Patinkin, absolutely brilliant. Uh, and then Damages, there's another one I've always wanted to watch, um, particularly yeah. because I think Rose, Rose Byrne is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, you bragged enough on Glenn Close uh, during Oscar time. <laughs> Maybe it's worth <laughs> checking it out. You know, you know who's in Damages? I think it might even be the last season or the second last season. Ryan Felipe. Uh, oh, really? So he is. He's in one of the seasons. He's he basically, still a thing? Yeah, well, he was basically like they did kind of like a season on like Julian Assange. Like Ryan Felipe plays like a Julian Assange type of person. Um, mm. and it might be the last or the second last because I know John Goodman's in a season. They, they get really good actors like Ted Danson in the very beginning of it. Um, Tate Donovan, just uh, Zayka. You know, one of the Drazen guys in Twenty Four, not um, oh, Dennis Zel- Hopper, the Zel- other Zel- one. Ivanek. Thank you. I was I'm gonna butcher his name. Um, he's in suits <laughs> at the moment when I'm watching. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like just they get great actors in that show. Um, just running through my next ones here. I'm gonna start off by saying. 30 to 21 is going to start and end on what I would consider my big guilty pleasures, where if there's if there, if I have a Desperate Housewives, maybe it'll be these two shows where people sex are like, the city. how does that? No, it's not Sex in the City, thankfully. Um, but these Girls. are the ones where people are going to be like, why? <laughs> why is that show so high on there? So I'll start with number 30. This is Growing Pains. Uh, <laughs> love of 80s sitcoms, which is funny because this was one that when I was a kid, I always talk about, you know, some of these 80s sitcoms. Because it's different. I don't know if television was the same. Well, A, I grew up in a small town until I was at least eight years old. We didn't even get cable TV until I was eight or nine. So there's always limited shows. But even you know during the early to mid-90s, there's only so many shows on TV. You didn't have all these cable shows. Cable TV were like documentaries, you know, or mm. cooking shows or sewing shows, <laughs> things like that. Um, so you tended to watch a lot of these shows growing up every single week and not even really be a fan of theirs. And Full House is a good example of that or um, you know, other shows like that where now you'd go back and at least me, I go back and I'm like, man, this show is bad. And I was never really a fan of it. It's just, it's just what was on. That's kind of the way Growing Pains was to me growing up. And then for whatever reason, when I was a teenager, this was on like you know in the afternoon after school – and my friend and I started watching this while we were on the phone with each other. And we're like, this show is so funny. And we just – we got the humor so much more. And Canadian love Alan Thicke who died recently. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Kirk Cameron, you know, yeah. in- insanely funny when he was on that show as a teenager. Like, it's, it's impressive to watch a 15-year-old because he was 15 when he started that show who's as funny as he is. And even the later seasons they brought on Leonardo DiCaprio. Like I remember Leonardo DiCaprio at the time it was still airing thinking, this guy's the best thing on the show. Um, but it's just, I'll call it a guilty pleasure. It's a dumb show. It is your typical family sitcom. And there's a brilliant sitcom, which I did not include in here, not for, you know, 
reasons of controversy, but the Cosby show that did not make my list. And I picked Growing Pains over it. And that's just my guilty pleasure. So I'll just people laugh at me all you want. But Growing Pains is my number 30. Uh, 29, The Practice. So most people are probably more familiar with the spinoff of this, which was called mm-hmm. Boston Legal. That Denny had, uh, yeah, Denny Crane, William Shatner, <laughs> uh, and Candace Bergen and James Spader. The interesting thing about the practice is that it started, I think, in 97. And it I wasn't really – I always liked, like, lawyer shows and stuff like that. But it wasn't something I ever got invested in. And the practice was different because – especially for a network show. Now you see shows like this all the time. But nobody was a hero on it. It was about a defense firm that first was struggling. So you're not seeing successful lawyers you know, who are driving you know, Corvettes and stuff like that. You're seeing people who can't pay their rent. You know, they've got dirty water in the, 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 the taps of the bathrooms. Their toilets get plugged. They're just the lowest lawyers, and they're defending people that sometimes they know are rapists and are murderers. And sometimes the episode would end, and they would be like, we just got off a murderer. And they just end the episode. Well, how do they deal with that? Uh, Dylan McDermott was just incredible. Like, I probably one of the best – yeah, and one of the best dramatic actors I ever saw on television. I was such a huge fan of The Practice, and – they had some budget cuts when I think it hit like season seven or eight and they axed like half the cast. And part of that was losing Dylan McDermott, who was the star of the show. And they brought in James Spader. And for whatever reason, James Spader <laughs> uh, was able to replace who I loved. Like I loved Dylan McDermott so much. And I'm like, OK, I, I'm OK with them replacing totally different show. But James Spader, the most unique character ever in any legal show. Uh, and then they gave him his own spinoff, which was more of a comedy because like Boston Legal and the practice totally different the practice, straight drama, Boston Legal, comedy drama. But the, the practice is one of those 90s lawyer shows that I think actually plays better now because TV's changed so much. And now it is all these antiheroes like you mentioned, Better Call Saul and other shows like that. This was sort of the original, I think, the practice. Um, 28. Here's my other Canadian show that I have on here. And. This is if, – if a successful Canadian show will run for five seasons, six in the case of Corner Gas, a really, really great Canadian show is probably over by the end of the second season if it makes it that far. I always found the best Canadian shows never get given a chance. And Power Play is the best example. It's also the only Canadian scripted TV show to ever actually be about professional hockey. Uh, and this is one you really have to check out, Ben, if you're a hockey fan. It's about a fictional NHL team – uh, based in Hamilton, Called the, the Hamilton Toronto Steelers. Maple Leafs. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but everything about it is a, the behind-the-scenes stuff of a hockey team. Like you have mostly the general managers. Um, some of the characters are agents. Some of them are media reporters. You have some of the hockey players get involved, and it's just like the behind-the-scenes stuff of this hockey team. You have like the crazy eccentric owner of the team, and it was one of these perfect blends of the show could be so dramatic that it's almost heartbreaking at times but then it's just ridiculously funny the rest of the time it ran for two seasons i don't even know if the second season got a full season pickup but if there's any short-lived show well there's one other i have on here that was extremely short-lived that people have to check out uh power play is definitely one of them uh, if there's any of the two shows power play is one of them <laughs> i just realized <laughs> i said but no like Easily my favorite Canadian show of all time. Never was given a chance. I wish they'd find a way to bring it back. Uh, 27, another animated one, Star Wars The Clone Wars. So yeah. we watched the movie mm-hmm. of this when we did Star Wars Month, and I kept saying, you got to watch the TV show. And it's amazing because when this show came out, there was a lot of critics who were like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's okay. And 
by the end of it, it was basically being called one of the greatest shows on TV, period. You know, uh, live action, animated, whatever it is. It's totally different from week to week. There's a lot of multi I would say probably 75 to 80% of the episodes are like three to four episode parters. Uh, they're all sort of standalone episodes, but they'd have these con- maybe five or six stories told throughout the course of the season. And one episode may be focusing on Anakin, and then the next week would be focusing on some random background Jedi, and one episode would be focusing just on clones. So there's so much variety to it. I'm so glad they're bringing it back. Uh, there's another show that's kind of closely connected to this that's actually going to be higher on my list because I'm not typically an animated fan, despite the fact that I've got a couple of childhood favorite shows on here. Uh, but there's one guy who's involved in the Clone Wars who I think makes animated series as cinematic as any of the Star Wars movies. Christensen. That's right. Uh, Liam Coulson Neeson rough and way. irritating. It gets and everywhere. It gets everywhere. <laughs> um, but Liam Neeson actually did come back and do the voice of Qui-Gon in the, the Clone Wars TV show, which was great too. Um, 26, this is another one to kind of the break the mold ones because it doesn't technically – qualify as a tv show uh it's called sharp it's a sean bean series of movies i guess you could say but because of the way british tv is just we have no rules this would be more similar to sherlock like um if you're familiar with sherlock yeah they don't make like weekly episodes they'll do three extend like two hour mini movies a year but they still consider it a tv show for that reason i consider sharp the same thing because they would do two or three movies they're all based on a series of books about you know a soldier in the napoleonic war uh but it's very james bond like and i think i even suggested this for double off seven is something we'd cover not just because that's sean bean but it is james bond like because each book and then movie slash two-hour episode is its own story it's it's more action adventure he does a lot of womanizing in it. Um, you know, he has this interesting backstory that comes out. He sort of works his way up in the ranks. There's always like the over the top villain. It's just a brilliant show um, slash movie, which is weird. Uh, 25. This is probably the oldest show or oldest comedy show I have in here. Gilligan's Island. <laughs> I'm not even going to call this guilty pleasure. I love this show. Uh, I will say my love for classic sitcoms comes from there was a local show here uh which i don't even call a show it was like a block that was on at midnight on friday nights uh here in winnipeg it was called bundy's late night review it ran i don't know probably the early 90s and they would air four classic sitcoms and then in between they would have like a host who'd introduce the shows and then interview people. Uh, it's kind of like a late night talk show where they just throw to, here's the episode of Bewitched, and here's an episode of Sanford and Son, and here's an episode of Gilligan's Island. And you never, it would never be the same shows. So every week there'd be four completely different shows, just random episodes. And because of that, I always loved classic sitcoms. And Gilligan's Island, like the most ridiculous show ever made, but so much fun. Only three seasons, too. So, again, it didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, complete garbage. I, it, this would be a guilty pleasure, but I'm not calling it a guilty pleasure. Uh, 24, another sitcom, 90s sitcom that I think ages better than I ever would have expected because it actually ranks higher than my other Michael J. Fox show, Spin City. Um, mm. This is the West Wing of sitcoms. It really came before the West Wing. It was about City Hall in New York and the mayor. But uh, all the other characters, um, you know, you have speechwriters on there and everything. And, of course, Michael J. Fox, you know, when he announced he had Parkinson's, it was because he was leaving Spin City. They replaced him with Charlie Sheen. I kind of consider this separate from the Charlie Sheen series. Spin City was the four Michael J. Fox seasons. Uh, but just so brilliant. And 
the fact that you had a sitcom that they filmed in front of a studio audience and they basically built a real city hall so you would have one shot like just just the production values where they would be walking through real hallways backstage which are all dressed they're all part of a set and then eventually emerge in front of an audience they're not limited to here's our living room set or office set or whatever or bathroom set uh it's just crazy and michael j fox is you know again completely brilliant on here barry bostwick who plays the mayor is <laughs> oh the most ridiculous have you ever seen spin city yeah my dad used to love it so i used to watch it sporadically with him uh, anything michael j fox i almost put the michael j fox show on here and that lasted like 18 episodes um 23 covert affairs this is kind of a perfect combination of my two of my other favorite spy shows alias and 24 um it, it ran for i think five seasons on the usa network i just sort of casually watch it because i'm really into spy stuff and the first two seasons they're all just sort of standalone episodes and in season three they adopted more of the um uh uh serialized approach but there are probably more 24 actors who reappeared in this show than any other show i've ever seen uh the the biggest one being the guy who ends up being the main villain in covert affairs is the guy who played president logan in 24 and I would actually pick his Covert Affairs villain over 24. That's how good he was on that. But it's it's essentially the same premise as Alias. It's, you know, a young female spy who kind of gets picked for this role for who knows what reason. And she's sort of living her own life not with people who don't realize she's a spy. They eventually dump that and they just make it a straight spy show. Um, every single season, like, again, just like um, the Indiana Jones Chronicles, they would go to the real country. So if they had an episode that was taking place in Belarus, they're like, let's go film in Belarus. And the style of the show is very similar to the Bourne movies because Doug Lyman, who made the first Bourne movie, actually produced this as well. Um, 22, this is, I think, the only single season show I have on here. It's called Now and Again. I don't know if anybody even remembers this show. Uh, it's Dennis Haysbert before 24. Um, and then there's an actor named Eric Close who was also on Without a Trace as well, um, who uh, was the star of the show. But the first episode starts out, you've got John Goodman, who's just an insurance agent. He falls in front of a train. He dies. They keep his brain alive and then physically transplant it into a genetically engineered super body, which sounds like it's just a dumb superhero show. But it actually was more uh, about the drama of this guy is alive. He's now able to do all these incredible things, but his family thinks he's dead. He could have no contact with his family after that. Only lasted one season. Like, the, the potential for this show, it was insane how far they could have gone, uh, but it only got the one season. And I have the one season on DVD, and I can watch it over and over again. And my last guilty pleasure here, at least I think, oh, I'm going to have at least one more guilty pleasure, but uh, Hercules Legendary Journeys, another one I <laughs> watching. Kevin Sorbo, Xena uh, has nothing on Hercules. When I was, I think, maybe... A teenager, this was like my ultimate favorite show, and I think it was on like at midnights every single night. And I would stay up till one in the morning to watch every episode of Hercules. I got to meet Kevin Sorbo years ago. Um, he was at a Comic Con, and it was great. Like, he's so much fun. And uh, I sort of asked because he was selling pictures that he would autograph. And I'm like, can I just pay you the same money and have you autograph my, my box set of Hercules? And he goes, I'll sign whatever you want. I've signed testicles, I've signed boobs. And I'm like, <laughs> the DVD's fine, sir. Thank you. <laughs> but that's their testicles signed. <laughs> Apparently, he's done it. Somebody out there. Um, but I don't know. I just love the show. It's just ridiculous. It's. It's campy. It's intentionally campy. It's the Gilligan's Island of uh, Greek mythology. 
Gilligan's Island was like one of those shows that, um, you know, it'd be on like you come home from school and after the cartoons would finish, you know, between like five and six before the news, it'd always be like Gilligan's Island would be on or um, oh, the ones that I used to always love, which neither are going to be on my list, but um, Get Smart and I Dream of Genie oh, would always yeah. be on. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I remembered like I never got into Gilligan's Island, but it would be on and you'd just watch it. Uh, I saw the 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 marina thing where they filmed it when i was in hawaii we drove past like a marina or something and they were like that's where the intro or something for gilligan's island was filmed or something i don't know um hercules yeah i never <laughs> just you know what that reminds me of is when i was at your house and you were playing that bloody cartoon for oh Cameron. the animated one yeah <laughs> oh my god um yeah i've always wanted to watch the clone wars uh always always wanted to watch it just never gotten around to it i'm not like it's funny you're you're the one who doesn't like animated yet you've got so many animated things i know (laughs) when it's Um, good it's really good (laughs) yeah um and was it um uh growing pains it was again it was one of these random ones i remember as a kid sort of every now and then watching it um i was more full house i know you don't like full house but i liked full house um but and also what was um is Family Matters one with Urkel in it? Yeah. Yeah. I like I liked Family Matters. So, yeah. Um, all right. Cool. Uh, I, I looked up that power play. I want to watch it now, but I don't know if I'm going to oh, be able to please. find it. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Let's get into the meaty stuff. 20 to 11. Uh, in number 20, uh, the final Chris Lilly one on my list. Probably the one that he just got absolutely blown out of the water with in terms of fame. Summer Heights High. Uh, so he kind of, he took Jemay over from We Can Be Heroes into that. And then the other characters he did was a teacher called Mr. G and then uh, Jonah, who was sort of like a, a teenager from Tonga. And then both Jemay and Jonah got their own spin-off series. But if you ever want to watch a show that accurately depicts what high school life is like in Australia, watch Summer Heights High. Absolutely spot on as to how high school is in Australia. And Jonah, actually, I had a friend in high school who was from Samoa, not from Tonga, but basically Jonah... It's exactly the same as my friend who was from Samoa in terms of just how he acts, how he is, and just, oh, just such a great show. That is a show you can just watch on repeat, basically, and not get sick of it. Um, number 19, uh, sort of, a, again, another recent show, the, my final talk show on the list, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Just just so funny, so clever. If I had the option to host any type of show in my life, I would host a John Oliver-style show because I just I think the type Wait. of humour, well, what? in the Oz Network, uh, what? No, thank you. <laughs> the Oz Network. I mean, yes, it would be the Oz Network, followed by last week. No. <laughs> but just he's he's just the the way he can be so sarcastic and just he's red. Oh, just so good. And plus, I get I get educated. I really get educated on so many different topics, uh, particularly obviously around American topics. But um, you know, did, you did you watch the Canadian election one they did a few years ago? Oh. On John Oliver. Oh, it's just funny. They were going through all the different candidates and kind of like they were showing all like old clips of Justin Trudeau like falling down stairs and things like that. And then basically they were saying like, don't vote for Stephen Harper. And then he was risking a fine because like apparently in Canada, you're not allowed to publicly go out on TV or something and say like, don't vote for someone or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, and you get like a $5,000 fine. So John Oliver basically got like a wad of $5,000 like Canadian bills and was like, I'm going to risk my life right now. I'm going to go to Canadian jail. Don't vote for Stephen Harper. And like he got Mike Myers to come out in like a Mountie uniform. <laughs> and basically like Mike Myers was like, oh, and fuck Stephen Harper. Oh, so they're to blame for Justin Trudeau now. Thanks. <laughs> Look, it's really funny. Like, it's probably the only time they've ever done like a full episode on Canada. 
Um, 18, I think this is the newest show I have on the list, and this is kind of going on the anthology page of things. Another Ryan Murphy show, uh, American Crime Story. I mean, they've only mm. done the two series. They obviously did the OJ one and then the Versace one, but just so, like, oh, God, compelling. Like, every single episode of every single season is just amazing. And obviously the OJ Simpson one got a lot of attention. And the one thing I think I've ever seen David Schwimmer in where he's not Ross, um, like, really good. Uh, but the Versace one is equally as good. I mean, Darren Chris, who is, what, Blaine or Blair, whatever his name mm-hmm. was in Glee, to see him go from this sort of, like, you know, preppy high school sort of kid to this just psychopath. It was just crazy and, oh, so good, so good. And I can't wait for them to do the third one. I, they keep talking about doing a Hurricane Katrina one, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, 17, now I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm hoping that one of those sort of current shows on your list might be this one because I think you like this more than I do. Uh, the Simpsons, um, mm-hmm. it's... This is obviously you said, like, when it comes to the quality of shows changing. I mean, The Simpsons hasn't been good for, what, 15, 20 years probably, but I still stupidly watch it. But, like, come on. We all know The Simpsons at its peak. You can't beat it. And it's probably the most quotable show in the history of TV. You and I are always coming up with a thing on an episode going, oh, remember that episode of The Simpsons? So, yeah, like, I mean, gosh, the show is brilliant. Uh, It will go down as one of the greatest shows of all time, no matter how long it lasts for. Probably outlast, but you and I, but anyway. Um... Another another Ryan Murphy show at 16, and his very first show, Popular, which if you like Glee, you will like. Popular is kind of like Glee without the music, but darker. And just the sense of humor and just, it just, it only ever ran for like two seasons. And I it used to be randomly on like a lunchtime and a school holidays, and I just really got into it. But it's got some of the greatest characters in it. It's so funny. That um, COVID Affairs show, when I looked it up, I think it had Christopher Gorham in it. He's actually, I think yeah. that might have been the show where he first started was in that. Uh, Leslie Bibb, who kind of went on to be like Iron Man and a few other things, she was in it. But like, just so quirky and so Ryan Murphy. Um, but it just, if you want a random high school drama that is just so incredibly ridiculous, watch Popular. It's hilarious. Uh, 15, actually, I do have another talk show on this one. I forgot about this one. Uh, and this is one I know we've mentioned and off the podium before. Uh, the Dream with Roy and HG. Um, so basically, Roy and HG are like a comedy duo in Australia, been around for a long time, but they really got big during the Sydney Olympics. They'd have a nightly sort of comedy talk show where they would just come up with, you know, they would interview athletes, but like it was, it was just hilarious. And it basically got to the point where athletes were being told not to stay up late and watch this show because it was affecting their performances during the Olympic Games. And so, like, you know, they, they hated the mascots for the Sydney Olympics, so they created their own uh, wombat called Fatso the Fat-Ass Wombat, which then essentially Australian athletes would take onto the podium during the Olympics. Just, it's hilarious. It holds up so well. They they came back for Salt Lake and Athens as well, and just they've got this sense of humour, which is so funny. And then they would do commentary as well. So, like, they got really famous for their gymnastics commentary where they would basically, when a guy does a split, they'd call it, like, the flat bag. And then, like, when they open their legs, they're like, hello, boys, hello, boys, close the gate, and flat bag. <laughs> like, just just very literal com- uh, commentary of events. Very funny. Uh, 14, iconic Australian show. I don't know if you've heard of it. We've probably talked about it before. Kath and Kim, um, just... If you want to see what suburban life in Australia is like, watch Kath and Kim. They tried to do an American version of it. It was absolutely terrible, but uh, it only ran for four seasons. They did a TV movie, which was pretty funny. They did an actual movie, which was terrible. 
Um, but just hilarious. I got Mallory watching it recently. And I mean, you, each season is only eight episodes long and they're like 20. So you can watch a whole season basically in like two and a half hours. So yeah, great, great show. Uh, the second greatest Australian TV show of all time I have on this list. And this is another one that probably, I mean, I think some people would be more familiar with this in Canal Road. It was a show called Always Greener. It only lasted for two seasons. It was basically about a city family and a country family, uh, who swapped houses and then kind of, you know, the country family lived in the city and the city family lived in the country and just just very clever very funny and it's also quite dark at times as well and just it ended so abruptly they basically cancelled it because they said it was costing too much to like film between the two locations it had a very you know a big cliffhanger which they had never resolved but just oh, always love always green it's such a great show number 12 uh house of cards um mm. take away the final season um, and how it ended. People always talk about how bad shows ended. Why is House of Cards... I know it's only just recently ended, but God, House of Cards ended badly. I love Robin Wright. I love Claire. Like, I love her almost as much as I love Kevin Spacey in that show. But she just... The last season just didn't work, and Kevin Spacey was that show, and obviously we know what's happened, but House of Cards, maybe the greatest twist or, you know, like, holy fuck moment in the history of television uh, with that train scene. Um, mm. And number 11, which I'm, I know this is going to be high on your list. I don't, it's probably going to be high. I don't know. The oldest show on my list, Faulty Towers. Um, mm. When it comes to a show that you can just put on and watch and never get sick of, Faulty Towers is easily in the top few. Uh, just so clever, so funny. Just the peak of television, really, for comedy and that sort of thing. And just still so hilarious to this day. I still, you just laugh at everything in that show. Um, I mean, there are a few little bits here and there that don't exactly hold up of <laughs> like mm-hmm. nearly 50 years later, but still like it was the seventies. So, ah, oh, faulty towers. What a brilliant show. So that's, yeah, that's my 10. Uh, yeah. I'm just sort of looking through my list here. We may have some pretty close matches here. Um, so popular. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I remember when that show was originally out and thinking like, uh, this doesn't look like my thing. But yeah, the same can be said for Glee, obviously. And you said that was Ryan Murphy, right? Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Ryan, yeah, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> created popular. <laughs> yeah, that um, was Ryan, Mur- Ryan Murphy's first ever show. So he did popular, then he did Nip Tuck. But yeah, popular was his very first show. And is Christopher Gorham, like, uh, one of the lead actors on it? He is. So basically you have, like, the popular crowd and the unpopular crowd. And Christopher Gorham's essentially the, the lead male for the unpopular crowd. This show also has somebody else who I absolutely love on here. Are you familiar with Sarah Rue? Yes, yes, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah Rue, she's um Carmen in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, she's absolutely brilliant. She did a sitcom, uh, didn't make my list, but it's called Less Than Perfect, uh, which was kind of like I remember that show stuff. actually. Yeah, it's, it's it's almost in a way the way you describe popular. It's an office comedy. Uh, actually, Zachary Levi, who stars in Shazam now, he got his start on that and was probably the funniest thing on that show. Uh, Andy Dick also on that, as well as News Radio. But that's sort of like an office thing where you have the cool office people and then you have the loser office people. Um, but yeah, Sarah Rue on that was... I remember when I started watching the show, it was just less than 10 years ago or whatever, just in reruns, and thinking that uh, that was the closest I've ever seen to Jamie on television. But between her and Christopher Gorham, I'll definitely check out Popular. Um, also, American Crime Story, I- I've only really seen the first season, but I absolutely love it. Again, with these anthology shows, it's tough because... Uh, I feel like they are their own thing. 
you know, can you put Fargo on there? Or is it fair to really say, well, I would put Fargo season two and then I put Fargo season one here. American Crime Story must be even harder because there's really no connection between the seasons. And I haven't seen the Versace one. Um, I'm sure, they'll never run out of ideas for this. But the O.J. Simpson one was just incredible. Um, and House of Cards also, you know, I haven't finished the show, which is one of the reasons <laughs> that I did put it on here because I haven't seen season five or six. I've seen the first four seasons, but there's a perfect example of how a show can get better the longer it goes on. And I, I had seen the British uh, miniseries trilogy of miniseries before I saw the um, the Kevin Spacey version. And I think because of that, the first season I felt was like really dragged out and so incredible story. But compared to the British one, which was just contained in three episodes, it just felt like it went on too long. And then as soon as they started doing their own thing in season two, like the show really took off. Uh, and I'll completely agree with you. Like Claire, maybe even better than Frank on that show. Mm -hmm. But from as soon as they, I heard that she was going to be the lead character, I'm like, I know that's not going to work. She needs to be the character that you see less of. So you don't – the lead character you're always going to know where they're coming from. You're going to have an idea. And the great thing about her character is that she would do things. You're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming because she's not on the show as much. So I always sort of knew it wouldn't work with her as the lead. But they had to do something to salvage the show. So understandable. Um, and I haven't seen a lot of your Australian shows. Sorry to say. <laughs> uh, but I will check out Popular. Maybe we'll cover it on a random uh, rewatch or something coming up. Definitely, definitely. I mean, we could knock. I mean, it only goes for two seasons, so I mean, like, God, we could do the whole thing. It doesn't wouldn't take that long. And along with that, you know, you're talking about Ryan Murphy. I came dangerously close to putting Scream Queens on my list, even though that only had two, uh, same. two seasons. Well, there was. Amazing. I think looking at his list of shows that didn't like, yeah, what well, I don't have Scream Queens. Um, the new normal. I mean, that was probably his least. You know, the shows that he did. Um, and like nine one one is not quite up there to make the the list. But uh, I mean, pretty much all. The, I think more than half of his shows have made my list. Oh, there's still one more to come. And clearly, I think we all know what that will be. But yeah, there's a very clear line that's drawn when I go from twenty one with Hercules to number twenty because I feel like all the shows in my top twenty. I, if you were to ask me before I made this list, I'd say that's one of my top 10 favorite shows of all time. So some of the ones coming up here, I'm like, oh, how is it this low? But it legitimately is something that I would consider to be my very favorite shows. We're kicking it off here. I, I, I'm the first one. You're going to be discussed whether this is 24, number 20. Ah! Boo, and again, like I said, if you would have asked me before we did this, I would have said, yeah, that's in my top 20 or whatever. But it's just some of the other ones on here because – Maybe they didn't run too long. I mean, you mentioned season three. I, I feel like the first eight episodes of season three, so good. And then as soon as Salazar's are gone, it's just not the same. Um, but this is um, we will a have lot fun like, covering that. Saunders is probably my favorite villain in all of 24. And, see, and I don't get that so much because I think that you know once they hit season four and five, it's very similar to some of these other shows I mentioned, like Game of Thrones and Covert Affairs, where it's like, this even lost they get to seasons four and five and those are the two best five is actually my favorite season i think oh, that yeah james absolutely. james heller season five maybe one of my favorite characters in all of maybe my favorite character in all of 24 james what heller about audrey and kim rave audrey yeah audrey's fantastic on that show um who is the, the the replacement for audrey she was season seven and eight oh rachel i never liked rachel never got into her what was that was renee Renee, it oh, starts again with, with an R. <laughs> I love her. And that show has a knack for, we're going to take a character 
And then we're going to go the exact opposite direction. We're going to make you hate this character. Like Renee is a perfect example. Jack, the way that you, they can make you hate him in one season and then love him in the next. Um, I can't say enough good things about it other than the fact that if I were to ever rewatch this show from start to finish, I probably would skip seasons three, six, eight. Um, I might rewatch nine, uh, what they had of it. But and uh, not def- doing living whatever the newest stupid one was. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the non-Jack Bauer one. But um, particularly, I think the first two seasons are great, but I actually think seasons four, five, and seven would be my favorites there. Uh, because seven, they could do something interesting. Hmm. Love seven. Tony. Tony makes season seven. Said, uh, yeah, wow. I, I, I mean, we want to cover it one day. We really do. So I'll mm-hmm. very much look forward to doing that. Uh, 19, this one probably moved up a few spots because I'm rewatching it right now. That's Cheers. Uh, easily the greatest sitcom, uh, of the, the biggest sitcom of the 80s, probably the greatest one of the 80s. Um, you know, Ted Danson, John Ratzenberger's, you know, Jamie watched Cheers when she was a kid because I think it was the same thing with me. Your parents watched Cheers, so you watched it. And it was still funny as a kid. And I was talking to somebody else and they were saying like, yeah, I remember loving that show as a kid. I'm like, what is it about this show about a bunch of people in a bar that appealed to children. Uh, but I, and now we're rewatching this. Now Jamie's like, oh, Woody Harrelson's so great. Oh, John Ratzenberger's Cliff so great. It doesn't even need to be the lead actors. Um, I think right now Jamie and I are up to the eighth or ninth season. And it just it hasn't lost anything, which is so unusual because I get impatient with shows after like five years. So the fact that we're rewatching this and we're that far, I had to move it up a little bit here. 18. The Amazing Race um, probably would have been a little bit higher, but the show's taken a bit of a dive in years. But this is one of my exceptions, like I said, because every season is really its own thing. Uh, it's been on long enough that you can forgive you know, the, the some of the more recent seasons where it just becomes twist-heavy. Um, really, I think there's only two or three great seasons in the last six, seven years. But going back to even some of the classic seasons, like uh, season five is my all-time favorite. And now we're seeing Colin and Christy from season five come back as completely different people. Um, but yeah, the twists are kind of killing it nowadays. But I'm just, I think it's amazing that there's an amazing <laughs> that. <laughs> and there's it's a race. <laughs> yeah. Any reality show that could last this long, you know, uh, Survivor is one thing. But for Amazing Race, which has never really had the ratings to last this long. And, uh, you know, the Canadian version, I basically am grouping the Canadian version in with this. It's there's no reason this show should be as entertaining as it is after 31 seasons, because it's just go do a challenge. It's not like there's drama. There's not scheming. It's not like Survivor, which is House of Cards. It's just guys racing, women racing. It's just I, I still love the show. Uh, and they're bringing I, the Australian one back, too. Yeah. And um, it, they're not doing New Zealand thing again, or is it just Australia? No, it came out of nowhere. Channel 10, the one who picked up Australian Survivor, because it was always a Channel 7 show, but randomly Channel 10 announced like a month or so ago that, hey, guess what? The Amazing Race is coming back at the end of this year. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I actually really like I never saw the first season, but I saw the second and third Australian Amazing Race. I really loved the second season, but even the third I thought was great. Uh, 17, Friday Night Lights. Here's a more, I guess, recent-ish one. Um, the cast completely sells this on its own because you got Kyle Chandler, uh, you got Connie Britton, you know who was recently in Nine One One. You've got Taylor Kitsch, who I absolutely <laughs> love. Uh, the, the whole cast is just amazing, and this as a TV show that's based on a movie, 
where the TV show became so much more popular and loved, and the movie, when it came out, was considered the greatest, by some, the greatest sports movie ever made. And then you have a TV show that becomes even more popular. And most people don't realize Michael B. Jordan, who now Black Panther and Creed, he basically became the new star in season four and five. And this is an example of how you could, what Glee couldn't do. They brought new characters in as their high school students aged out of the show, but still found relevant ways to keep the older characters in there. Michael B. Jordan kind of became the new star of seasons four and five. And another perfect example where I think seasons four and five might be the best of Friday Night Lights. Uh, and Kyle Chandler, you know, uh, can't say enough good things about him. I already did on the Godzilla episode. If you wonder why I love Kyle Chandler so much, just watch Friday Night Lights. Or another show he did called Bloodline, which really should not – Jamie said, well, how come you didn't put Bloodline on this list? I'm like, I've been putting it on just because of Kyle Chandler. It's not fair. Uh, so <laughs> Friday Night Lights gets a spot. Uh, here's one that I'm really shocked I could not put in my top ten, and that's Alias. Uh, because I'm oh, wow. such a huge – I thought that might have been your number one. Kid. <laughs> it like honestly most of these shows could have been you know close to top five or whatever uh alias really when i i, I go back and rewatch the show which i've done multiple times this is one of the f- few shows i think i've rewatched at least or watched through three times the first season they really were trying similar like i said covert affairs here we have a young spy who's still living their life on the outside you know their friends don't know what they do some of their family doesn't know and i just don't think that stuff really ever worked but the greatest thing about Alias is that J.J. Abrams, this is why I have faith in him doing you know, Rise of Skywalker, is because he's always learned from his mistakes. Even Lost showed that. Um, he realized certain things weren't working about the show in the first season, even though so much did work. And they just completely changed everything over. And season three of Alias probably has got to be one of the biggest reboots without coming across as a reboot, where they're just like, all right, uh, two years have passed. Everything's changed. The show's completely different, but you're barely going to notice. Uh, and <laughs> as, as much as this show, when it came out because it was a spy show, was compared to James Bond, it really is just like Mission Impossible. It's, you know, uh, we're going to mess with your mind every single week. But yeah, I'm almost feeling like I should bump this one up again. But then I look at the other ones on here. I'm like, there, there's, uh, there's, yeah, it, this one's really tough for me to have outside <laughs> of even the top 15, I got to say. Um, 15, though, The Twilight Zone. Uh, this is the classic 60s show that they just recently rebooted and everybody hates. Um, I, I don't even remember how I got it. I think I was just – I had just gotten to the point where I realized how you could download torrents. And I'm like, oh, let me see The Twilight Zone. Uh, let me download all the seasons of The Twilight Zone. And I just love the show. And this is – I wouldn't even – it's an anthology series but not like the other ones we've been talking about. Every single episode is just its own story. There's never a connection from one week to the next. And it's – Sometimes a sci-fi story, sometimes a horror story, sometimes just a murder mystery. Uh, but like five seasons, just incredible. Uh, and yeah, all the classic ones, despite the fact this is a black and white show from the late 50s, early 60s, whenever this is on TV, I will record it every single night and watch it every single night. Um, hmm. And that there's one of the ones that I could easily say, let's do every episode of The Twilight Zone if I can ever find somebody. Uh, last guilty pleasure here, Lost in Space. <laughs> so <laughs> if I were to swap... Can I do a swap here? Can I swap Alias and Lost in Space? No. Yeah, sure, you can. Doing it. I'm swapping Alias and Lost in Space. Because um, I think a lot of things I said about, well, the first season of Alias, did not everything worked about it. Really, the last, second, and third season of Lost in Space didn't work. But it's just it's like Gilligan's Island. It's sometimes it's so bad it's just entertaining. 
but this is like a total guilty pleasure of mine. And I got into the show because I saw the movie and I'm like, this is movie is my guilty pleasure. Yes. Um, I, I just ordered – I've always wanted to watch it. Like it hasn't been on the air in years. And I just ordered off Amazon the entire series, which should be coming tomorrow. So I'm going to be watching it every single night as soon as it comes. <laughs> uh, but a complete dumb entertainment. Like if, if people want to laugh at me because I've lost in space in here, I fine. I agree with you. Laugh at me. <laughs> uh, but there are some more serious shows to come. Uh, 13, The Americans. Uh, this is – arguably the greatest spy show ever made it just ended last year Noah and i did a recap of the finale you know because we both love the americans and on that episode Noah and i both said maybe the greatest finale in television history like of any tv show and yeah i I would be hard pressed to come up with a finale that was better than the americans and americans is just a show if people haven't seen it because it's not like it was huge uh it starts out in the early 80s and it's a couple who are actually Russian spies. They have lived, you know, for the last 15 years in America as Americans. They have their own children who are born in America, but even their children don't know that they're Russian spies who are just in America working, you know, undercover. And throughout the show, they start to get into things like, well, you know, what happens if one of them now starts to adopt some of the American tendencies and, and enjoys certain things that are not necessarily you know, along with their pro-communist values and then their neighbor is an fbi agent and what if he starts to suspect who they are and now what happens when the kids find out who they are um it's probably the most serious dramatic show i actually have near the top of my list here because i tend to lean not so much towards heavy things but there's something about the americans just work so well and the fact that they allow the show to progress throughout the 80s and again like so many others are my favorites on here completely change from one season to the next and really just the finale itself i mean for a show to end that strong that's why i kind of bumped this up higher than alias and covert affairs even with my swap places there um this would be the greatest spy show ever made uh 12 um faulty towers <laughs> oh, I thought you we're had very fire. very close on this one here uh and really if I'm glad that this show ended. This is where Ricky Gervais ended The Office after two seasons. He ended Extras after two seasons. He only did one season of Life's Too Short and Derek and all his other shows. It's He always said it's because he didn't want to do anything that John Cleese wouldn't do. And John Cleese <laughs> is like, you know, we, we would spend a year and a half, two years writing a season of Faulty Towers. And after two years of doing that, like, you know, let's just end it. We're happy with what we've done. Uh, if this show had had a third or fourth season, I think this would be higher, which is funny because i got a show coming up here that actually technically has less than that. But, um, uh, yeah, but John Cleese, I, I don't even care that some of the stuff doesn't age well. Like, it, he makes anything work. John Cleese mm -hmm. might be the funniest man alive today. He was mm -hmm. the funniest man alive in the 70s, I'm sure, 60s, whatever. Uh, and, and Manuel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like okay. every character. There's great K K. Again, I I like this idea of like there's so many short lived shows. Like we should do every episode of Faulty Tower. Oh you know God, what? yes. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the, the closest match we've had and the overall highest ranking. Who knows? Oh, I think there's one more to come. But uh, the next one, this is where I just realized, well, maybe if Faulty Towers had a third season, but then I got Mr. Bean at number eleven. So. <laughs> oh, I struggled not to put Mr. Bean in my top fifty. Oh. Like it was hard. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, again, I, I, I give it the excuse of it's a British show. They have their own rules. But this isn't even really a TV show. It, mm. They would do Mr. Bean specials a few times a year. 
Yeah. But it's still England. They're like, it's a TV show, even though we have two episodes a year or whatever, and they don't even air, you know, uh, within months of each other. Uh, but talk about like a show where every single segment of every <laughs> single episode is completely memorable. Like you could say the Mr. Bean where he's golfing and you could recite it word for word. And I think Rossi <laughs> and I talked about this when we did the Merry Christmas, Mr. Bean. And I was saying that like, we were talking about Mr. Bean just to, like here in Canada. I think Canada is like the second biggest, uh, market for Mr. Bean. Um, it, 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 like the audience here is just insane how popular it is. But you could talk to anybody in Canada and you could say Mr. Bean Christmas and they could recite for you word for word, shot for shot what happens in every single episode. Um, it, it's probably the closest thing to a perfect comedy, partly because it ends where it does. Uh, but yeah, I thought you would have Mr. Bean on here for sure. So uh, I yeah, I it's, there's definitely a few that it was really hard and. I, I mean, Mr. Bean, like, just similar to Faulty Towers, just grew up, watched it. You know, we'd mum and record them all off TV. And I remember when the first movie came out, how excited we all were. We bought, like, the movie script and we had, like, our own little stuffed teddy and, you know, just like, oh, God, just obsessed with Mr. Bean. So, yeah, I, I just didn't get it in here. So, yeah, I'm sad, but I love you, Mr. Bean. <laughs> just bump Desperate Housewives and put it in there. <laughs> Um, what was uh, I've never seen Friday Night Lights. It's one that I've definitely wanted to see. Same with the Americans. I've heard good things about it. Um, I've I've seen I think the sporadic Lost in Space here and there. I've I've got the new one. I just haven't watched it. Um, because I want to see Gustav Graves. <laughs> it's just a bit of Space Miranda. <laughs> uh, uh, what else was that? Yeah, twenty four. Man, come on! Like that is so low. <laughs> like. Season, I forgot you for lost. Seasons eight and nine, really? I saw season six, seven, eight as well, and I saw the newest one, but I didn't count that when I ranked it. Um, <laughs> see, I, 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 I can defend season three. I can defend season four. Season four is the forgotten one. Season four always gets forgotten. Season four is amazing, though. Yeah, season four is great. Um, yeah. But, oh, God, like, uh, Jack Bowers, maybe. And we'll get to this. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to 24. But he might be the greatest television character in the history of TV. I don't know. We'll get to that. All right. Uh, so, we, are we still going to do this? We can do this quick fire let's, one by one, I guess. Off. Yeah. All right. Number 10. I don't know if I'll be judged. I don't think I'll be judged for this. I feel like this show actually feels like it should be judged. But at the same time, it holds up. And I think a lot of people respect this show a lot more than I gave it credit for. And this is an American show that actually kind of, I think, ended well. Uh, and it ended it at the top. Like, it, it probably went one season too long after sort of one of the main characters left. It is the OC. Um, mm. But, I mean, the great thing about the OC is that, like, you know, it gets compared to, like, you know, Beverly Hills 90210, those sort of things. But, like, the OC balanced the whole teenagers with the parents so well, and I think that's what makes it really compelling. And, like, some of the adult cast, you would argue, are better than the, the teenage cast. And, yeah. Yeah, like, just so good. And this is just one of these rewatchable shows that I can just always watch. And when I was in, like, late high school, early college, like, it just everyone talked about this. And it wasn't just the girls. Like, the guys, every gender yeah. would watch this show. And the music, like, just every layer of the OC is fantastic. This is definitely one of the shows that I need Mallory to watch because she's never seen it, but she will love the OC because I think everyone loves the OC. Okay. I don't know. Do you like the OC? Yeah, you know, I remember when it first came out, and I watched the first few episodes, and I'm like, ah, I don't think I can get into that. And then when the, when it was renewed for a season two, I watched a little bit more and realized, I think it's so subtle, but the show completely changed because the thing that nobody expected is, you know, that they had their two lead characters, and then they had the two secondary leads, 
who are the less typical, you know, 90210 like actors, uh, which was Adam Brody and Rachel Bilson. And mm. they were the ones that I think really took off with that show. Cause I remember once it started getting really popular, like as the show went on, Adam Brody was the star of that show. Like he's the oh, one God, everybody yes. loved. And he was the nerdy character. And suddenly, the, I think pre Big Bang Theory, Adam Brody might be the first guy who made being kind of a geek cool on TV. And um, I think both him and Rachel Bilson, they steal that show. And the 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 subtle shift between, I think, the first season where it was very much more a dramatic show and maybe a little bit too melodramatic, just your typical, you know, 90210 um, Dawson's Creek type melodrama, where when you get to seasons two, three, I don't remember how much I saw, four, whenever I would watch the show, I'm like, this show is actually really funny. Mm-hmm. Like, talk about one of those great balances, but... That, that I'm going to credit that all to just Adam Brody and Rachel Bilson just being so funny themselves and being probably more popular than your two leads that they sort of became the show. And I I would be hard pressed. I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who thinks that well, what is it Benjamin McKenzie and who's Benjamin the other McKenzie. one? Uh, yeah, Misha Barton. Misha Barton. Misha Barton. That, that either of them are the popular ones from that show or the ones that well, people love. Just quickly, who was uh, Rachel Bilson married to for 10 years? He Kate was coarse and rough and irritating. And, um, I didn't actually realize they had divorced. I thought they were still together. Um, oh, sad. I mean, the, the thing I'll say about Ben McKenzie, though, is that kind of I always pigeonholed him as to being Ryan. But then uh, a show that I – so sad that I also didn't make my top 50, a show called Southland, which uh, was sort of penned by John Wells. Just a great, very realistic cop show. Uh, he was sort of a main cop in that and really, really good. And then, of course, in Gotham, like, I think he actually has a lot more range than I ever thought he possibly yeah. could have had. So, uh, I actually am a bit of a Ben McKenzie fan and I think kind of he deserves a bit of credit. But, like, the adults, like, Peter, Peter Gallagher, like, mm-hmm. so good. Um, the, the mum who's Canadian, Kelly Rowan, um, and then Melinda Clark, Julie Cooper, Tate Donovan, we talked about him before as well. So, and yeah, such a Peter great Gallagher, class. by the way, uh, Covert Affairs, this is another one you have to watch because Peter Gallagher is great on that show too. Um, Alan I Dale. Think... <laughs> Ooh, everything yeah. Chris, Chris Pratt was in an episode. Olivia Wilde was um, you know, in it for a while as well. I think Chris Brown, pre-bashing Rihanna, was even in an episode <laughs> from memory. So, yeah. I, I find it interesting though because I remember when the show became really big and Adam Brody just completely eclipsed everybody else on that show. Now you flash forward 10 years or so since the OC's done, and Benjamin McKenzie, the guy who at the time people were like, they thought he was going to be the star, and look what happened to him. Now he's arguably the most successful actor coming out of that show post-OC with maybe Rachel Bilson behind him. And where is Adam Brody now? He was in Shazam, but where else is Adam where's, Brody? Where's Misha Barton? Like, she was the next <laughs> big thing. She was she was the, the huge star of it. I think she got <laughs> pulled up for dope, didn't she? And then you haven't mm-hmm. heard from her since. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so my number 10, uh, another one where I'm like, how did this not make it higher? Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, which I don't know if you really ever uh, said much about Star Trek one way or the other. Um, but I'm a, I'm not like a Star Trek fan the way that like the obsessive Star Trek fans are. You know, I've watched all the shows, probably not every single episode of every show, but we covered, you know, Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Jamie and I, we did random episodes of the other ones. I've seen all the shows, but Next Generation is the one where I really loved. And I think there's probably one or two other Star Trek shows that might have made it on this list, but I kind of have a rule that's going to be similar in the movie one we're going to get to next week where I didn't want to include multiples from a franchise. Um, But this is a show that uh, I loved when I was a kid, despite it not really being a kid's show. It's not inappropriate for kids, but it's definitely brainy sci-fi. The weirdest thing about this is... uh, 
leaving apart everything about I think this show's incredible. It also has one of the greatest finales ever made. And I think when you frequently look up lists of the greatest TV finales of all time, Next Generation makes it number one quite often uh, and is almost always at least in the top three or top five. Um, but there's a weird thing about this show and how relaxing it is. And I'm not, I, I actually know somebody else who said the same thing without ever talking to me about it. I used to be able to fall asleep to this show. Now, I can fall asleep to – there's almost nothing I can fall asleep to. Uh, but if I put the show on, guaranteed within 15 minutes I'm asleep. And it's something about the sound effects from the ship that feels so comforting. <laughs> it's just this weird background noise of like this you know, humming of the ship that actually puts me to sleep all the time. So this being a little bit higher, even if it didn't have some of the greatest episodes of any TV show I've ever seen, you know, so many incredible like complex sci-fi stories and then just fun stuff as well. But just the fact that this is a comforting show that could put me to sleep, I have to put this one on there. And you know, Patrick Stewart d- deserves to be on every list. Everybody's top ten list, there should be something Patrick Stewart related. Even if it's just putting him on for his cameo in Extras, where he parodies Star Trek's Next Generation. Did you ever see that? No, I've never I see Extras is another one which I, I need to watch as well. I haven't watched it oh. yet. The only the only Ricky Gervais one I've actually watched is um the, the newest one he did on Netflix. Which one, Derek, or the the brand new one he had? The br- the brand new one that's only been oh, out okay. for a couple of months. Yeah, that's the only Which one of his I haven't seen though. Yeah, it's, so I'll, it's I'll great. Have to get to- it's very dark. It's very uh, depressing, but it's also yeah quite good. I, I've like Star Trek was a show my dad. I never really got into the Star Trek shows. I'd watch a random movie every now and then. I like the reboot they did um, with the movies. I haven't seen the second or third one yet. But, um, yeah, like, my dad used to watch it. Dad really loves Voyager. I remember oh, we had yeah. to buy him all that for Christmas, like that, like all the DVDs. I think I watched randomly that Enterprise one they did for a while. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just, I don't know. I have nothing against it. Absolutely nothing against Star Trek. It's just something I've just never gotten into. So, it's kind of like Doctor Who, which I'm assuming is going to be on your list. I've, I've never really watched it like again nothing against it it's just it's not something i've ever watched so yeah patrick stewart yeah sadly i, I don't know if patrick stewart is going to be in my top 10 probably oh, not going to be in my number nine show <laughs> uh the greatest australian tv show of all time frontline now this was basically a show uh in the mid 90s that parodied kind of like i guess like um you know, current affair, 60 minutes type of journalism shows where, you know, they had their fictionalized version of this. And this show was so spot on and accurate with the way they parodied how journalism was done in this style that we actually had to study this at university when it came to me doing journalism courses. And there's only three seasons of it and just everything is just perfect. This is a show that I watch basically and straight away I want to start again and watch again. It's just so funny, so clever and just just, just incredible. And I, I no doubt you've never heard of it, but if, if I was to say to you watch any Australian show... I would say watch Frontline because it's just it's just so goddamn clever. And I got to, the main guy behind it, Rob Sitch, who um, very famous production company in Australia called Working Dog Productions. And when we come to talking about the movies tomorrow, the Australian movie called The Castle, which I've told you about before, arguably one of the greatest Australian movies of all time, uh, Rob Sitch wrote and directed that. So he's the main star in this as well. Very, very clever people. And I got to interview him several years ago for when I was doing the radio. And I just, I had to at the end of it. I'm like, look, I have to say this. Like, you are Mike Moore, great, greatest Australian character of all time. Can you please give me your famous, hmm, Mike Moore reporting? Like, so, like, I just, I had to get him to do it. And he did it. So, thank you, Rob Sitch. 
Uh, well, I, of course, never heard of the show, so I won't have much to add, other than the fact that I, I was totally convinced you were going to say Home and Away there. So. <laughs> well, it's actually, cool. seriously, I, I, I was on my initial draft, but then I'm like, oh, I haven't watched it in like four years, so how can I put Home and Away on this list? I stopped watching it, so yeah. Uh, my number nine is something that I actually you said you you figured it would be higher on mine. I thought that you'd have this higher than I did. I have The Simpsons at number nine, um, and you know when I was making this list at first, I think I had this on here and I was going to rank it much lower because I was considering the recent stuff. But then I realized, like I barely ever watch anything post season ten, so really I should just be ranking this based on the first ten seasons. And when I I kept. I put everything else out of my mind, like, you know, from all the later 15, 20 seasons, however many they've done, and thought just about those first, you know, 10 seasons or whatever. And comparing it to all these other shows, I couldn't find anything that touched it. Like, if Mr. Bean is the perfect comedy of all time, um, just for duration, well, that and Faulty Towers, because of duration, they never went on too long. Simpsons, if you consider that this thing ran for years longer than either of those shows... If they had ever ended this at season 9 and 10, you'd never be able to find another comedy that touched The Simpsons. Um, and like you said, the most quotable show ever made. Uh, it is impressive it's still on the air. I don't think I've really ever had a good laugh at The Simpsons. It's kind of like the Big Bang Theory. Like I said, I'd watch it maybe once or twice a season just to see if it gets any better. It usually doesn't. But those classic episodes, I mean, I can't find anything that touches it. And uh, I don't think we would ever have to cover every single Simpsons episode. But if we just did, you know, I don't know, the first two, 300, <laughs> I think we'd be good. <laughs> It was um it was on during the week. I was randomly actually watching TV in New Zealand for once, and they had a couple of the older episodes on. And just straight away, I'm just like, oh my god, this show is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And now I, I just don't know why I watch the newer stuff. I don't know why. I still feel the need to download every episode and watch it. I don't know why. <laughs> Can I just um, throw a random Simpsons quote out here? That no. uh, we have to do it. We have to do it. We have to find a way to fit one in here. Um, the one I don't even remember what the episode was, but this is one of my favorite lines that like y- you forget about. Uh, when something's something's bothering Bart and Marge is like, something's the matter with Bart. And Homer goes, new glasses? And he goes, no, I think something's bothering him. Probably misses his old glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I was the one where he's like, the one where he says digging a hole. It's like, what are you doing? Digging a hole? Why? Because... <laughs> Marge, you just lay there as I make soothing ocean noises. <laughs> My favorite episode is probably still this, the X-Files episode. God, I love that episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the standard lie detector test. Every answer you heard will tell the truth. Do you understand? Yes. Boom. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw this one out there just because uh, anybody who works with me who might ever one day listen to this will know this is pretty much sung at least once a day. You're the birthday. You're the birthday. You're the birthday, boy or girl. <laughs> Mallory was like randomly showing me movies that she loved, and um, what's the what's the movie where they based the monorail song from? The um, oh, I don't know the movie. I've heard the song before, but I couldn't place it. Yeah, so she was like showing me clips from the movie, and she showed me the clip that obviously the monorail song was based. on. I'm like, it's the monorail song. And she's like, what? And I'm like, monorail, monorail. <laughs> I just, Mallory's never seen The Simpsons. Like for God's sake, what? she's never seen The Simpsons. I know. And then, I mean, we talked about it, didn't we? I think in the Beauty and the Beast one coming soon to the Oz Network. Um, with the see my vest, see my vest, see my vest, made for real gorilla <laughs> test. <laughs> so look at this, you can't even 
even talk about The Simpsons without quoting it. Yeah. Um, and the movie. I mean, that didn't make my top 50, spoiler alert. But, I mean, I rewatched that recently. God, that's good. Like, it even is. for a yeah. show that hasn't produced good episodes in a long time, that movie was pretty darn good. Mm. So, yeah. Um, number eight. Uh, I don't know if you thought I'd have this higher. Lost. Um, I thought you'd look, have it lower. No, well, look, I, it was difficult with my top ten moving some of the ranks. As I said, kind of my, my top four, top five is solidified, but, you know, when it came to these other ones. But, look, I, I definitely see the criticisms with Lost, absolutely do. But I, I'm really enjoying covering it with Noah because Noah's a bigger fan of Lost than I am. Like, I would argue he would probably put Lost as number one on, if he was doing this. So, like, I learn a lot. But, like, the thing that I think I, I've found myself really appreciating Lost and actually defending a lot of what they did in the latest stuff is... You know, I, you, when you rewatch Lost in very close proximity, you actually realise how well tightly done it, it turns out to be. That, yeah, there are definitely things that they kind of on the cusp did and everything, but even then it's tied up very well. And as I constantly say in the Lost episodes as well, I thoroughly recommend people find the chronologically Lost, where like fans have re-edited it in actual chronological time order. It makes it so much more interesting. And then you realise that you'll have moments from like season one and season six, which happen two minutes after each other, and they fit so perfectly together. Um, and even the final season, like the ending, people, that top ten worst endings list I watched the other day, Lost was on it. And I'm actually becoming a real defender of how Lost ends. And I don't actually think it's that bad. I think actually it wraps up pretty well. So, yeah, and like, you can't. Some of the stuff, particularly in those early seasons, and I would agree with you, like five and four and five do some great stuff, but like some of the greatest episodes of TV come from Lost. Like the opening of the pilot, um, you know, the end of season three with Not Penny's Boat and kind of that twist that throws you of all of a sudden like, we have to go back, Kate, we have to, like, holy fuck, where does that come from? Like just Lost is something that was just event television and this is where... You know, I, I I don't hate Game of Thrones. I just want to point that out there. I don't hate Game of Thrones. I can't hate. You something can't. I've you've never seen, seen it. <laughs> exactly. But like the way people arc on about Game of Thrones being like this biggest thing ever. Like this is what Lost was in the two thousands, and also mm. the fact too, Lost was a network show. This wasn't even a cable show. So yeah, Lost easily will always make my top ten, and just such a great show. Um, where is Matthew Fox? We're still trying to find out. <laughs> Hashtag where's Matthew Fox? Sorry. Waiting for Speed Racer 2. It's just not coming. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. With Lost, I'm not a fan of the last season at all. But I wouldn't really hate on the ending either. Like, I don't have any issues with how it ended. I definitely think that you could have done something a little bit bigger and more dramatic. But I think the biggest problem with the ending is that it leaves too much open for interpretation and you end up having people interpret things like it was all a dream or it was all, you know, um, just like some fantasy in heaven. And I don't think that's the way the show was ever intended to be. Maybe, uh, you know, once you guys finish the show, we can talk about it more. But um, yeah, I, I feel like you don't leave things that open ended for people to come up with their own ideas of how disappointing it is. Be a little bit firmer on what the ending means. Um, but I didn't have a problem with, you know, everybody being there in the end. I thought it was clever. Uh, I just think the show peaked with season five. And there's really not much that I remember from season six. And the stuff I do remember just felt really dragged out. Um, and season three, you know, even though I said I think the first half of season three is garbage. The mm. season three finale, which, you know, are we about to cover that? Or have we finished yet? Where are you guys? Uh, no, we've, we've ju- well... Uh... I think at the time of airing, we're about a week away from actually airing it. We've just recorded it, so uh, we've just finished season three. 
I mean, I, I think I've listened to a couple of clips of you guys. I've never listened to one of your full recaps, but I'll definitely listen to that one because that's got to be talk about greatest episodes ever. That's got to be it. Um, J.J. Abrams wasn't really heavily involved when you get to the, the better. Pilot. Yeah, like, I think the, the first three seasons he had a lot of invo- involvement in the creative direction of the show. So you can't really blame him for how it finishes or everything. But Alias is similar in that, you know, he was making Mission Impossible 3 when Alias season 5 it was wrapping up. But um, one of the detractors for me for Alias was season five. You know, Jennifer Garner got pregnant. So I felt like they had this incredible, perfect final season, the show planned that they could have gotten to. And then they're like, well, we got to cram it all into the last couple of episodes. But the difference with Lost is I feel like they never had that perfect ending. And they just sort of set – because I remember they set an end date when they were still in season four or something like that. They said, we want this show to – yeah, yeah. They said, we want this show to have an end date. We know where we want to go. And I feel like they never had that final season in mind, whereas with Alias, it feels like they had that final season in mind from the beginning, but then a pregnancy just made it impossible to tell the story outside the last you know half dozen episodes. So both mm. shows interesting because they're both obviously J.J. Abrams, you know, creations or co-creations, uh, you know, both dealing with mythology, science fiction, but still drama. But uh, yeah, neither show really ended the way it should have. But uh, I-, I still love Lost. It's just, just- I. I- I can't rank it as high. I'll just also add, as well as where's Matthew Fox, put Michael Emerson in more things. Stop making him do stupid Italian shows. Like, for God's sakes, this guy should be in Academy Award winning movies. He's such a fucking good actor. And Benjamin Linus, maybe one of the greatest villains in TV of all time. Oh, yeah, hands down. Um, My number eight is another animated show, the last animated show on here. Um, (laughs) And also one, because I was a weird kid where I didn't really care for, I didn't have a problem with cartoons, but... I, I liked live action stuff, even things like Mission Impossible when I was a kid that I probably shouldn't have, you know, been watching or not been as into. Uh, but I got into this animated show, which is a more recent one, uh, when I was an adult, uh, and that's Avatar The Last Airbender. And I know connection to the James Cameron movie, but definite connection to the M. Night Shyamalan Last Airbender movie that basically killed any potential of what could have been the greatest movie trilogy ever. Uh, the close thing I could say with Avatar is it would be something like Lost, where... It's three seasons. They knew where they were starting. They knew where they were ending. They knew it was three seasons from the beginning. They have these characters uh, very similar to something like Harry Potter where it's you know young characters who are like 10 to 13 years old. This group, they're traveling. They're, there's this massive world that's like Game of Thrones. It's sort of like our world but not completely. Um, it's got a martial arts vibe to it like you really have to watch the show to get it but i never thought i would have been into any animated show especially an animated show that's not it was more serious um but talk about something that's cinematic and this is where i was mentioning the clone wars earlier on when george lucas was making the clone wars animated series he went to this guy named dave filoni who was the guy who was basically the creative force behind uh he wasn't the creator of avatar but he was like the director of avatar the last airbender and if you ever want evidence of how a director matters in animation watch avatar the last airbender and then watch the clone wars and see how one guy made these animated shows feel as big as movies and when the movie came out that Shyamalan made i remember telling so many people i'm like i'm not into animation but this is maybe the most binge worthy tv i've ever seen like it is true binge tv and it's an animated show that aired on Nickelodeon um, because it's not really you know, a, a fun kids show. It's very serious. It's very dramatic. It's similar to stuff like The Hunger Games or Harry Potter, but so much bigger, so much more epic. Uh, and I said, this will be the next Star Wars. 
and I'm so convinced this is so perfect. There's no way anybody could screw this up. And then somehow M. Night Shyamalan screws it up so badly in the movie that <laughs> they're not making it anymore. But three seasons of this show and another one that I I think I've rewatched the entire series like Alias at least three times. Um, even if you don't like animation, like you have to check this show out because I think it's one where if you start watching it, if you're not an animated fan, if you're not into sci-fi or fantasy or anything like that, you're still guaranteed to watch this start to finish. Like it is that good. I I, I mean I know what it is, obviously, and I've just I've never never watched. I've never I guess seen the appeal in some aspects because I think like growing up I love like. Pokemon. Okay. I know it's not the same thing. But then, like, Digimon came about, and I thought, well, that's exactly the same thing. Then Dragon Ball Z came about. To me, I thought, well, that looks exactly the same thing. And then Avatar came about, and I'm like, well, that looks exactly the same thing. So, and I know they're not related, but it's just for some reason I just had this dumb opinion that they were all the goddamn same show. And I'm like, well, no, I like Pokemon. I don't need to watch these other shows. So, um, that's my only excuse. I remember when the James Cameron Avatar became a thing. I'm thinking like, oh, so they finally made that cartoon into a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then of course, yeah, I've not seen the M Night Charlotte and Amal and Amal one. one. Um, so, yeah. Um, oh, one day I'll add it to the list. Uh, number seven, um, Friends. Um, if there's a show that I can just watch to death, it's Friends. It's literally one that's always on TV somewhere. You you sit down, you're like, oh god, I know that episode, but you watch it anyway. And, you know, it's it's obviously become hugely popular all of a sudden again just because of Netflix and the internet and all this sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I remember when this show started, um, I, I just watched it all the way through and just, I don't know what else I can say. It's Friends. Everyone knows what Friends is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just, yeah, to me, the greatest sitcom of all time and just I can never get sick of Friends. I wish uh, I had some, but I've <laughs> I'm going to kind of say the opposite of everything Ben just said. Um, <laughs> oh, boo! Other than the fact that I did, I started watching the show when it first came out too, and I loved the show for the first three seasons, let's say. Like, absolutely loved to watch it every single week, thought it was the best thing on TV like everybody did at the time. But I got so sick of it. I think I got so sick of the characters that I just stopped watching. And, you know, like a lot of these other shows I'm mentioning that I lost interest in, I'd check in every once in a while and just never got my attention again. I firmly believe this is one of these shows that if I were to go back and rewatch it now, I'd probably be like, you know what? That show's way better than I remembered. And I could get into it all over again. But it's just, I don't know. I spent so long just being annoyed with this show and especially the characters just being like, oh, these characters just bother me that I, I don't think I could ever go back to it. Maybe I will one day, but... It's still it's still something that yeah, turns me off for some reason. I think Matt Mallory and I are planning on covering the episodes. I think that's one that we want to do because she loves Friends as well. So, um, yeah, go back and watch it. You'll be changed. Uh, here's one that um, I'm really curious to see if you ever even got this show because this was sort of briefly a phenomenon. And anybody who grew up in you know my generation remembers being terrified at the theme song. This is a show called Unsolved Mysteries. Um, Completely uh, different than uh, completely different than anything else that I have on this list. But this show debuted originally as some TV specials in the late '80s, early uh, yeah, not in the early '90s. It ran through the '90s, but in the late '80s, and um, eventually they made it into a weekly TV show. The concept of the show is it's just you know you have a host who introduces the segments, and then you have maybe four or five segments per show, and it's anything that you can classify as an unsolved mystery. So the first story may be about a missing person, and the next story may be about an unsolved murder, and then the next story may be about UFOs, and the next one may be some type of legend about you know uh, who killed 
um, JFK or the, the JFK assassination. So there's so much variety to what they could cover. But the show had such an eerie feel to it, particularly with the theme song. Like uh, I think a, a grown man who's never heard the theme song could listen to this now and probably still be terrified watching the opening credits. There's just something really creepy about this show, but yet – it's not really meant to be creepy. Some of the stories they would have would be, you know, oh, this person was separated, uh, you know, from their siblings when they were adopted, and now they want to find their siblings. But it's, it was so different, and there are a lot of imitated series like that now. They tried bringing it back on Spike TV, made it really flashy. Now they've just announced that they're bringing back a new version of it that um, is going to be uh, co-produced by the makers of Stranger Things. Like this is. It's just a documentary series, I guess you could say, with these segments, all with different subjects. But I can tell you that uh, now this is on Amazon Prime. Most nights I go to bed watching Unsolved Mysteries because it's something where there's short segments. You could fall asleep to it. It's a little bit, you know, creepy at times. It, it's it's incredibly intriguing. You know, you you can hear about these classic assassinations, UFO stories. There's so many boxes been released. It's just weird. For a lot of shows like this that, you know, maybe America's Most Wanted would be something similar to this that eventually die out over the years. As many times they've tried to bring this back in various forms, people keep watching the classic episodes. There is such a massive diehard following that this show has among people who grew up watching it, even though technically it's been off the air for 15, 20 years now. And people will go back and rewatch these stories which now have been updated with, you know, a, a murder mystery from 1989. And they're like, so in 1991, they caught the killer and he's now been released from prison. You're like, oh, no, I don't feel so good anymore. <laughs> but it's it's just it's totally a unique show. And I, I, I couldn't have made this list without. It. So I'm glad you you know said no rules to this unscripted shows, whatever you want. Yeah, again, I've heard of it. I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't know if it aired in Australia or not, but I've definitely heard of it. So I like shows like that. You know, I like a good sort of... I mean, true crime's all the rage now, isn't it? Like, that's mm-hmm. the... Any podcast... Like, this is why we fail. We're not a true crime podcast. <laughs> so, start rebadging that and, yeah, we'll go for that. Um, number six. Uh, again, I believe this is a show you've never seen. Uh, but this is definitely one of those bandwagon shows that everyone ramps on about. And I eventually caved in and watched it and thoroughly glad I did. Breaking Bad. Uh, again, often regarded as one of the greatest TV shows of all time as it is, I'm not seeing Brian Cranston in anything else but Malcolm in the Middle. So I'm like, well, how the hell does he go from being Hal to, um, you know, Walter White? And, I mean, God, he's just, he's brilliant. He's such an amazing actor. Um, Aaron Paul as well is fantastic. Just everything about Breaking Bad is incredible. And this is one of those, the very few shows, I think, that it doesn't even have a bad season. It has, like, maybe one bad episode, and that's, everyone knows it's the fly. Um, but... Yeah, just I can't say enough about Breaking Bad. It's brilliant. And it actually an, a show that ends pretty much perfectly as well. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to be one of these annoying people to you, Colin, and say, hurry up and watch Breaking Bad because it's definitely worth it. <laughs> so funny you said that because like, I think I, we mentioned before, I've never seen an episode of Breaking Bad uh, and I'm not opposed to watching it. But when you wrote your blog post on Game of Thrones, you know, I, I disagreed with some of the stuff you wrote, um, but there's one line I think that you wrote that made sense to me, which was that, uh, you know, a lot of people just tell you this is the greatest show ever and that it may very well, like you've had other people tell you that about shows that you eventually watch. It's like, yeah, you did end up loving it. But I thought that with Breaking Bad, I'm like, you know, everybody says this is the greatest show and I probably will would watch it and would feel that's the greatest show ever. But do I need another greatest show ever in my life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And do I have the time to invest? This is what I mentioned when the, the Americas is on there that I, I tend to lean more towards 
fun shows just because these really heavy shows like the Americans, you know, Breaking Bad, they get to be so heavy that I I don't I don't find that I'm capable of binge watching when these shows are are kind of downers in a way. Uh, so there's some things that lead me away from ever watching Breaking Bad, but um, you know, I don't know. One day I'll, I'll get into it, and I'm sure it will be a great show. <laughs> Same with Game of Thrones. I'm sure it is a great show. Yeah. Um, you know, if we so, do a challenge yeah. one day where we have to watch one season of Game of Thrones and then one <laughs> one day, yeah, in one day we'll watch it. But uh, at, at some point, where you you watch season one of Game of Thrones, I watch season one of Breaking Bad because I did that with um, uh, my brother actually. Uh, involving two of the shows we've already talked about here. I kept telling him, watch Covert Affairs, but I told him, like, don't watch the first two seasons. Watch season three because it really becomes its own show where where it's 24-like. You know, it's it's one continuous story in a way, not real time. And he finally watched season three, and I said, if you watch season three of Covert Affairs, I'll watch whatever show you want. And he said, watch season one of Suits. And like I said, I'm 11 episodes in. I'm almost done the first season. Uh, he kept watching Covert Affairs after that. I got no problem with suits, but we should do that challenge one day. Season one of Breaking Bad versus season one of Game of Thrones. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, I think Nick and I are meant to be eventually covering Breaking Bad, but um, yeah, we'll see how we go. <laughs> um, here's a show that I really thought would have been in my top five, but similar to what I said about The Amazing Race, because obviously close connection to the shows, I'll be the first one to put it up here on all the people who are disgusted because they tune in just to hear us talk about the show but i'm putting survivor at number six not in my top five um and like the amazing race i feel like if i had stopped watching this show you know five years ago or whatever it would have been much higher but (sighs) the recent seasons do drag it down and i know i said with the simpsons but i can separate the simpsons i don't watch it anymore the fact that i'm still watching the show even when it is bad A, that says how much I love the show, but at the same time, it does bring down your overall opinion because you think back, when was the last really great season? Well, I don't look so much, when was the last really great season? When was the last great string of seasons? But if you were to take seasons one through 11, like I talked about, you know, uh, Lost had five great seasons. Um, You know, Alias had four and a half good seasons or whatever. Um, uh, 24 had, you know, five out of eight were really good. 11 seasons of Survivor. I would take the first 11 seasons and say I wouldn't trade any of them for anything else. Poor Uh, Panama. Poor (laughs) Panama. Panama again, isn't it? (laughs) But yeah, like it's it's weird because I still watch this show despite not really liking so many of the recent seasons. So that holds it down a little on this. But then it's also on here because I still watch this and have never missed it. It's probably the only show I could say that's been – on the air this long that I've never missed an episode of. Well, it's funny you mentioned Survivor because that was my number five. So um, <laughs> I, mean, I, I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of people assume it's my favorite show of all time and all that sort of stuff. But like, I mean, it's yeah, everything you added and more. Like, I mean, obviously, I just took a break and sort of have come back to it. I mean, I was never going to give up on Survivor, but you know, it's just it's formed. I mean, you and I have been watching this show now for more than half our lives. Uh, and, you know, we all remember when it started and kind of the craze and everything about it. You and I would have never have met if it wasn't for Survivor. Oh, um, How crazy is that? I know. So, <laughs> and, like, the thing is, too, that uh, from a personal perspective as well, and it would be the same for you, like, any show on this list, this is the biggest personal connection we can add to any show. Yeah. Because we've, we've met, we've talked to these players, you know, we've, you know, had so much of our lives have revolved around this show. So I think kind of... 
yeah, like Survivor was always going to make my top five and it was always going to be the one that probably snuck in at five. And this is where I'm saying like my top five probably just is solid. It, it just doesn't change. So yeah, I'm the same as you though. Like it definitely, it's, it's waning in quality, but we're obviously getting a bit excited ahead of um, season 40. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sorry that if people listening to this are disappointed <laughs> to think that we, we did a podcast called Survivor Oz and that this should be our number one TV show of all time, but it, it's not. <laughs> but I mean, so, put it out but, there about like the fanaticism that we have because there's a lot of my top five shows that I could say I had equal fanaticism for, but not all of them. And like you mentioned, we're doing this right now because we both love Survivor. You started a radio segment that led into a podcast. I listened to a podcast that I said, this is good enough. Let me join in and pitch in where I can. <laughs> Just the fact that, that I discovered Survivor Oz because I was so into this show that as rewatching seasons that had aired over a decade earlier – I started Googling the contestants, and every time I Googled some of these obscure contestants, I'm like, oh, there's some podcast Survivor Oz did an interview and started listening to that. You know, the amount of time we invested in this show, <laughs> and obviously there's a lot of the seasons we invested time into. We're like, I wish we could take back, you know, this season or that season, but it's crazy. This is not in, not in your top four and not in my top five because look at how much of our lives we've dedicated to it. 34 hours ranking yes! 430 contestants, people. All right? And that's one of our many projects we did. <laughs> that's a day and a half. That's nearly two days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's anyway. impressive and sad all at the same time. Um, story of my life. <laughs> but here's are you done do you have anything else to that's say on Survivor? yeah yeah that's, okay that's, um <laughs> yeah i've got n- not much else to say on that but um we're still watching the show so what can you say but like when it came to my top five shows these are the ones that it's so hard to rank because you, you will have somewhere you're like this show's ran a long time and it definitely you know uh took a hit because of it this show ran a long time and i consider it impressive that i'm still watching some of the ones on here, like my number five, ran for five seasons. This was a childhood favorite show of mine, and I never have stopped watching it. Like every couple of years, it'll appear on TV, and then I bought the DVDs and I rewatched them. And I still rewatch it now. Uh, this is a show called Quantum Leap with Scott Bakula, which is the greatest. Well, I was going to say the greatest time travel show. I may have another time travel show on top of this, uh, but <laughs> probably the most unique concept uh, uh, of any typical american network drama that i'd ever seen and i watched this and when i was a kid this was my favorite another example of these are the shows i was watching when i was a kid and not cartoons um but it's about a scientist who develops this machine that allows him to travel back in time but instead of it just going back in time he actually will travel back into the body of somebody back in time and he lives out a moment in their life and they realize very quickly they have no control over where he's leaping they're like Why does he leap into all these things? And he will only leap out of that person's life when he accomplishes something and changes something in that history. Sometimes they'll do episodes where he's leaping into Lee Harvey Oswald and you're thinking, is he supposed to prevent JFK's assassination? Is he just supposed to change something about it? And most of the time it's just an original story. Let's do an episode where suddenly he's a woman. Let's do an episode where, you know, he is a mentally challenged young man. Uh, What's it going to be like when he has to be a black man during the civil rights movement? And his only connection is this guy in the future who just teleports himself as a hologram. Everything about this show holds up so well. And if I were to rank the greatest TV episodes of all time, I could put, you know, a handful of episodes of Quantum Leap in there. I could make up a top 20 list of all Quantum Leap episodes. Like, that's how good this show was. 
And I can still rewatch it today. And another one that I'll say, ranking the greatest finales of all time, Quantum Leap Finale, maybe another perfect final episode. And the thing that works so well about it, without giving too much of it away, is the mystery of the show is how come he can't control where he's leaping and how come he can't get home? Why is it that every time he solves something, he just miraculously leaps into something else? They find a way to keep it open-ended like Lost, keep it open for interpretation, and yet the finale wasn't planned. The show was just canceled, and they're like, at the last minute, let's find a way to wrap this up. Um, definitely, well, like if nobody's ever seen this show, watch one episode, you know, and, and then... I guarantee you'll want to watch more. Like it's, it's, Oh, I can't say enough good things about it. The funniest thing that you just said about that finale is that I probably only heard of this show a couple of days ago when I watched that top 10 worst finales of all time. What? Quantum leap was on that. No. <laughs> yes. Okay, let me, let me, uh, just, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I heard of this show only a few days ago. <laughs> so <laughs> funny you mentioned that, but um, what's his name? Scott, um, he was in that Enterprise, wasn't he? Yeah, and also, well, was he on Desperate Housewives? Did you mention that already with him? Uh, one was he on Desperate Housewives? He's on one was of those types of shows. Now he's like uh, an N- on one of those NCIS shows, but I swear he was. Oh, isn't on... he on the spin? Oh no, he was on. You know, I can see him here. Desperate Housewives five episodes. I probably couldn't remember his character, but isn't he on like yeah, NCIS New Orleans? Let's see, he was on one of those spins yeah. of that. And you know so... what else? It was Scott Bakula. He did a great movie called Life as a House with Hayden Christensen. Um, who, <laughs> I've heard that of that. Movie, if, you, if you watch Hayden Christensen in that movie, he definitely was coarse and rough and irritating and got everywhere. <laughs> no, but from what I saw of that when they were talking about the show in that video I watched the other day, it did seem pretty interesting. So, yeah, again, it's another one that I think I would like to see. Um, all right, into the top four again. These, these aren't being moved, and I think most people will probably guess these. Maybe, I don't know. Number four, Nip Tuck. Um... We've, we've covered all 100 episodes of it. We've interviewed people from it. It's great. Just Ryan Murphy at his absolute peak. And, yeah, there's a, you know, like any shows, it kind of, there's definitely not some brilliant stuff towards the end. But still, actually, it was interesting when we rewatched it, kind of how not as bad season six was as I think that I remembered. But just, oh, just can't say enough good things about it. Listen to 100 episodes of us covering it. Um, and, I mean, Julian McMahon, Dylan Walsh, Similar to the Michael Emerson thing. Why aren't these guys in more things? Like, I know Julian McMahon just started in FBI, spin-off, whatever. Like, well, that's a shit show. Don't put him in that. Put him in something better. Um, and Dylan Walsh, like, Jesus oh. Christ. He's just such a great actor. Um, and Nick summed it up. Per- I love Nick's summary when we started doing the show. that it is, This whole show is essentially a heterosexual love story between two men. <laughs> and it's just... It's just so over the top and outlandish and just even some of the, the fact that it's like these are all based on real life surgeries that have happened. But even on the over the top stuff, then you've got some of the most dramatic stuff I've ever seen. Like just, uh, you know, and how ahead of its time it was in dealing with things like suicide and, you know, trans the transgender community and just so many aspects of this show. And I mean... Look, in my top three, I'm going to defend those shows, my favourite shows, but if I was to say to anyone to just watch a show based on how unique and great it was, Nip Tuck would probably be it, because it's just, it's just different, and I think that it, it was popular at the time, but then it kind of just, people forgot about it, and I feel today, people have forgotten about it, and just, I mean, it won the Golden Globe, the, the esteemed Golden Globe for best drama, um, so yeah, Nip Tuck, great, great show, top four, it's number four on my list. Okay, so this is very similar to um, another show we've already talked about in here, Homeland, where 
I saw a lot of the early stuff of the show and actually got very turned off by the show. Um, but I, not, not so much that I would really make a judgment about this. With Homeland, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'd ever really go back and watch that. With this, you said how ahead of its time it was. Like, I remember when the show came out, it was, like, considered shocking, some of the stuff they were doing on there. And it's not like I don't have a weak stomach, so some of the grotesque stuff didn't bother me. Some of the stuff they pushed the envelope with, like, I, I mean, it was shocking on American TV, but, like, obviously you've seen a lot of British shows on my list. I watched a lot of British TV, a lot of Canadian shows. You got a lot of this pushing the envelope stuff, like, a decade earlier. So nothing was particularly shocking about this. Just, I don't know, something about the show just seemed like it was too much for me. Like, oh, it's a little too over the top, a little too this, and I couldn't really get into it. Um, both the actors you mentioned, Julie McMahon and Dylan Walsh, like I love these guys and everything I've seen them outside of Nip Tuck. I just haven't seen enough Nick Tuck to love them from that. But again, great actors. But this is one where I'm convinced that I think time is in its favor because whereas this show probably seemed a little too much for me back then, now you have so many shows like this that are just as over the top and – absurd and you know pushing the envelope shocking or whatever it's just this would seem more normal now whereas at the time i'm like ah it's too much i can't handle it yeah i think that's a very good summary and the thing too which which is great about it is that it does go to the outlandish sometimes or it's almost soap opery but it's 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 yeah it's not like it's just the way it does things it's just it's done and again that just all comes down to ryan murphy's style like this guy will go for the over the top. I mean, you said you know how much you love Screen Queens. I mean, it's not quite obviously as outlandish as that, but I mean, you know, a lot of the time I'm watching Screen Queens, going like, "Is this a comedy? Am I meant to like? I don't get it." But then, like, you it clicks, then you're like, "Oh, I'm not meant to get it." That's why it's so great. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's yeah. kind of I think a lot of a lot of Nip Tuck is around that. But yeah, no, definitely I would recommend that as a top of a listing to eventually go back and watch, even more so than Breaking Bad. I would say. Uh, you know, it's funny because as I look at my list, I said my top 20, like I couldn't, you know, change any of these shows. As soon as I got to the top 10, I'm like, yeah, none of these could be outside the top 10. None of my top five could be outside the top five also. But uh, my number four, Doctor Who, uh, we've already mentioned it a couple of times. The most interesting thing about this show is I almost feel like this is an unfair advantage. Because whereas The Simpsons, you know, obviously it dipped over the years, like considerably dipped. Doctor Who never really did. And it, it certainly has in the past season, uh, the last uh, maybe two seasons, but particularly the new one of the new series. But there really are two Doctor Who series, the classic series, which ran from the 60s through to the late 80s. I mean, it ran for over 25 years or something like that. And then the new series that's now into like season 10 or 11. But um, I got into the show. I'd seen little bits and pieces of it, but I got into the show when the new season started or the new series started airing, you know, in 2005 or 2006 or whatever. Um but that sort of led me to just watching a lot of the old classic Doctor Who, which, strangely enough, I love so much more than the new stuff. If if I were to be ranking this solely based on the new Doctor Who series, which is what most people are familiar with, this would have been in my top ten. But the classic series, which is what I'm technically ranking, I'll rank this as a whole, but particularly the classic series is in the top five for me easily. And the weirdest thing about Doctor Who is that some of the effects are look really bad when you go back to the 60s. Um, the concept of the show, like Quantum Leap, it's a time travel show, and sometimes you allow yourself to do a historical episode, and sometimes you say, let's go into the future, let's do sci-fi, let's go to another planet. It's basically a character go anywhere, and then the fact that when the lead actor left the show due to illness, 
we're talking back in the 60s, they're like, let's recast, but let's just have it where the doctor himself changes physically into a different person. And that's allowed the show to go on all, all these years and also allows the show's tone to change from one doctor to the next because really every three to five years, the actors leave and they cast a new one and the next person is completely different than the previous there the the tone of the show will change sometimes it becomes more action oriented like uh the the second doctor jeff definitely was more fun than the first the third one was more like secret agent like the fourth one was uh, more complex and quirky the fifth became more serious there's just endless it's it's the show where they said we're going to create a show where we have endless possibilities a show that could go on forever with any actor we can go anywhere in the universe we can go any time period and the thing that I love most about the show is that even though the classic series is only half-hour episodes, it's like I said, the Clone Wars, where it's all continuing stories. So the, the classic Doctor Who, you would have a four-part story. So four episodes in a row that are all one story, and it ends almost like that's the end of that story. Let's start a new one. And then you'd have a six-part story. And so, so again, in every single way possible, they're like, we're never going to limit ourselves. We're going to tell long-form stories. We don't have to do this many episodes. We don't have to have this age of an actor, this gender, this race eventually. You know, it's just it, the show will go on forever because you'll never run out of ideas. I, look, I, again, as I said before, I've never really watched Doctor Who. It's nothing against it. I mean, I remember, it would again, it was like a show that would come on sort of in the afternoon and the the, the opening used to freak me out like that. <laughs> like that used to scare me, like when it would come on. Yeah. Um, and I think my dad used to say like about how the Daleks used to freak him out as a kid, but oh, like, yeah. I yeah I know enough about the show and like um like as you were saying I th- I feel it's a very clever idea that they're able to write themselves into that where that yeah the show can technically go on forever because you know you you close it out and he's a he's a doctor like it's a man it's a woman like it can be anything like I think that's really clever so um yeah and I, I worked in a store for a little bit when I did retail where. It was kind of a, a store that sold products from just a TV network here, and they aired Doctor Who, and pretty much all we sold was like all the geeks huh. would come in and Doctor Who stuff. So, and it's it's huge in Australia. Like Doctor Who, who is you know just massive. So, one day, one day I can watch it. Um, number three, um, ER. Uh, the 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 very first adult show that I oh god he's getting angry um the very first adult show that I ever was allowed to watch but um I I would argue that at its peak sort of what the first five six seven seasons you know just the the type of drama that it was really again just so incredible so well written the characters just everything about this show was done so well and. Yeah, it went for 15 seasons, maybe about three or four seasons too long. I, I would argue that some of the stuff post-Clooney and, you know, Anthony Edwards and that was still actually really good. It was, even when Noah Wiley kind of left, there were still a few solid seasons. It was, you know, when you start getting John Stamos in and stuff like that, like, yeah, maybe it starts to fall away a little bit. But, you know, it still kept such a pretty solid run and... Just amazing, uh, absolutely incredible, and obviously it leads led me into watching what will ultimately become the greatest show of all time to me. But um, yeah, just and and it is definitely a show that I have rewatched through once. It's a long time to watch through fifteen seasons of it, but um, you know, 
Uh, the world can thank ER for George Clooney, I guess. So I guess we need to be thankful for that, right? Um, but I mean, even outside of Clooney, like, you know, I, get, I mentioned Noah Wiley, Anthony Edwards, Juliana Margulis. I can never say her last name. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, Sherry, Spring, Sher- Sherry Stringfield, we talked a little bit about in Third Watch when they did the crossover episode, how good Eric an actress LaSalle. she is. I was about to say, Eric LaSalle, like, so good. One of um, the, the saddest episodes I think I've ever seen of TV was what, in season five when. Um, the uh, Lucy, the the intern, then her and Carter got stabbed, and then Lucy dies. Oh like, yeah! Oh, spoiler alert. Um, just yeah, just what a show. Alex Kingston, um, mm-hmm. Goran oh. Izvinovich, Moratini. And, um, yeah. Uh, and I just what's wanna... her name? Samantha. The she was in Green Book. Um, you know, oh, um, Linda, Linda Carlini. Linda. So yeah. not Samantha. Yeah, she was Sam in the show. Yeah. Uh, just want to throw out there Alex Kingston on Doctor Who. Uh, oh, I, if, if somebody just watches her episodes of Doctor Who, uh, this is going to spoil a little bit, but um, she's a character that works in opposite time, going back to Doctor Who, where she's from the Doctor's future, but he hasn't met her yet. And every time you see her, it's from a later point in his timeline, an earlier point in her, her timeline. It's just it's so complicated but brilliant. But I don't think I ever really liked her on ER. But when I saw Doctor Who, I had a whole new appreciation. And when I've gone back and rewatched old ER, I'm like, this woman is amazing. Like, she made the yeah. show. And yet I stopped watching probably around season five because it just felt like something was missing with George Clooney leaving. And when they brought new characters like her in there, it's like, maybe I just had this resentment because, like, they're not an original that I actually stopped watching the show, I think, after the fifth season. Um, and when I ever, whenever I would try to watch it, this is almost like, like I said, with Friends and Big Bang Theory, it's like, ah, it's not the same thing. I would actually get annoyed with the later seasons of ER because when they started doing things like having somebody drive a tank into the ER, I'm like, wow, this is beyond <laughs> jumping the shark. Uh, so I'm going to say this show went on way too long. But if you take those first five seasons, this was like my very favorite show on TV at the time. Again, older geared more older demographic than i was at the time just sort of showed how good the show is because everybody i knew like young people teenagers kids were watching er every single week and what i have seen in the older episodes i think holds up very well it's just i don't know if i don't know if i could ever get that far into it where you know i could watch once george clooney's gone but i will agree with you from the later seasons i did see you know, uh, particularly uh, Maura Tierney and um, Linda Cardellini, absolutely fantastic on the show uh, and not the typical type of characters that you would get. It's just when they started doing things like Maura Tierney's a nurse. Oh, guess what? I'm a doctor now. I don't know how many nurses on that show suddenly well, became doctors. Well, that the re- the reason they did that was because the initial plan was for Juliana Margulies' character to do that. And then they were like, she was so popular as a nurse that basically like, yeah. no, we're going to offend nurses. So kind of when they brought in Moratini Abbey, that's kind of when they went with that side. I think that she's the only one they ever did that with. But that was purely an idea of the writers who, you know, wanted to do that with, with well, Juliana. And also, they also mentioned, we should... Too. Just just quickly say, because I, I think she left the show before they could really do anything about it, but they had it all of a sudden where she's like, oh, guess what? I've been going to night school and I'm almost ready to become a doctor now. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, this well, is really couple things, th- A couple of things, too, with it is like, I mean, again, Michael Crichton co-created this show, yeah. like basically wrote it. Steven Spielberg was involved in the pilot. Uh, and one thing, too, that I think a lot of people seem to forget is that when it ended... George Clooney actually came back for an episode with Julian. And, like, you know, yeah. who does that? Like, you, you're such an A-lister like that. Because didn't, like, um, Ashton Kutcher, like, completely snub that 70s show and things like that? I, I don't know if Charlie he ever came Sheen back or not. Two and a half men. Yeah. 
Yeah, but like, I mean, the fact that George Clooney, you know, one of the most famous men in Hollywood, did at least for one episode in season 15. So, okay, well, that's where I started. I'm going to come back. So, I mean, they even managed in season 15 to do an Anthony Edwards episode, even though he's dead. Like, it was like a flashback episode. But, um, yeah, no, it was great show. And a good ending, a solid ending. It wasn't like the, the best see- ending. Yeah, I did see the, the final episode, and I remember thinking, you know, I, I don't think that this show really should have gone on this long, but I'm glad they went out on a high at least. It, the last yeah. scene in particular was appropriate. It's just maybe they yeah. should have had it like, you know, eight or nine years earlier. Um, yeah. My top three shows. <laughs> Hello, Grey's Anatomy, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, my top three shows are the ones that I separate these because – as much as I love all those other shows, I could find fault with them and say, well, that season sucks. These are the three shows that no matter how bad they suck, I just have so much love for them. Like legitimately, I feel love in my heart for these shows. <laughs> and like, I don't know if I could live without them. My number three, we, we launched the Oz network by talking about this show as far as the TV goes, which is Smallville. Um, I mean, I was a huge Superman fan growing up. Um, I can be a huge Superman fan as a teenager, just watching all the movies as well. You know, by the time Smallville came out, I just remember being so excited, the idea of the Superboy show, but it surpassed all my expectations because it sort of was a, a, this blend between your superhero show and then the teen melodramas we mentioned, like Dawson's Creek, the OC that, you know, were, were getting popular at the same time. But the show also allowed itself to age. So... When the characters got older, the show became more mature. You know, the characters became more mature. They got involved in more complex storylines. There are some really bad seasons of Smallville. I mean, you could make the argument that everything post season five is pretty much a waste, which is once everybody's sort of out of school and it's not really a teen show anymore. And I can't really disagree with that. I think season eight is downright awful, but I could rewatch all of season eight and never complain while I'm rewatching. I'll be like, well, that was a bad episode, but I still love it for some reason. And I- I've met like i think half the cast of smallville at this point because anytime there's a comic con uh where one of them comes that's my guarantee allison mack who has been in the news <laughs> lately for being a cult she, leader she essentially should recruit you at all colin <laughs> <laughs> well what's this is what's funny let me tell the allison mack story uh I, I tell the erica duran story all the time about how she was too tall <laughs> to appear in a picture with me so she said i'm just gonna have to bend into this picture here and straight down her shirt without trying not to look <laughs> take the picture jamie take the picture <laughs> i don't know what gets hold this position um but but uh just run down some of the other ones i met laura vandevert who played supergirl aaron ashmore who played jimmy olsen uh i almost went to the calgary comic-con if it wasn't for the fact that we were about a week away from what ended up being our twins birth i had plans to go to the calgary comic-con because tom welling and michael rosenbaum who were clark and lex were appearing there together and that was my selling point i'm like i have to go to meet these guys i will pay to go to calgary to meet these guys uh but the allison mack one um uh so I didn't realize until after the Comic-Con, somebody had just sort of mentioned, oh, yeah, I read something in the the news about her being in a cult or something like that. This was just as I was starting to break, but before the whole controversy with the arrest and everything. um, When we met her, Jamie mentions, like, she just seems a little off, like – like something about her seemed insincere and she couldn't put her finger on. I was just like, it's Chloe from Smallville. Great. Um, But – when we got our picture taken, it was all of us together. And then Casper was there and she was sort of like, how old's your baby? And then after this whole thing broke, we're like thinking like, she's looking to recruit some people here. Why is she taking such an interest in our child? <laughs> so it, it took on a whole new meeting. And it's sad because I've got this collection of all the pictures of all the people from Smallville that I met. 
And uh, with her is pretty much you know, within a month of this coming out and her getting arrested, I'm like, nobody's ever going to get to see this picture. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to delete off my phone, but uh, I'm a little ashamed to have it now. And Justin Hartley, who played the Green Arrow on that show, you know, he's since gone on to be a huge deal now in this This Is Us show that's on the air. When I met him, that's an even funnier story because um, – uh, you don't realize how tall he is in real life. And all of the actors on the show from later seasons, they had to cast tall actors because they underestimated how awkward it would be for Tom Welling, who's like six foot four, to be standing next to these average height people. Justin Hartley played the Green Arrow. It's got to be like six three in real life. And he's just this guy who's towering over me. And he's holding what I guess is his daughter, who was like maybe two at the time, this little girl's hand and holding like this tiny chihuahua under his arm. It was just the most (laughs) awkward sight I've seen. But he had a black eye. And I sort of asked him, like, what happened to your eye? And he's like, oh, it was just a stunt accident. I'm like, I'm like, why don't you tell people it's like you should see what I did to Welling? And he just sort of like (laughs) gives me a look like, huh, and just sort of keeps walking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just salt the green arrow is he gonna come back and hit me but no, I, just, I love this show so much and when this show is at least for me at the peak in season four i had a vhs that where i had recorded um the entire seasons on vhs and i would go to bed with this 10 hour cassette and i would start an episode and let it play throughout the night and anytime i woke up throughout the night i'm like smallville's on let me turn and look at what's on this episode and I can't even tell you for how many months I would not only go to bed watching Smallville, but I would intentionally keep it playing throughout the night just because it made me feel better to wake up and see Smallville on TV. It's it's such a weird thing, but I just I absolutely love the show. It was going to be it was on the cusp of my 50, but I think the, the problem with me with Smallville is that I really did fade out of it, I think, sort of, yeah, maybe post-season five. Pretty much all those seasons became very same-same to me. Hmm. Uh, but, I mean, at its peak, I loved it, and... Yeah, it was one of these shows that I think it got thrown around so much on Australian TV that I had to go and buy all the DVDs when it came out eventually to just catch up on it. But one thing I will say about Smallville, though, is maybe one of the greatest endings in TV history. Like, just the way it ended. Like, holy crap, that just gives me chills thinking about how good that was. So... Uh, and just Tom Welling, what a man. Like, we talked about oh. this in our random one. What a man. <laughs> like, a downright terrible actor, but he's so yes. charming and lovely. <laughs> I, I love how, like, you're talking about, like, oh, I'm going to meet Tom Welling, I'm going to be Michael Ruff. Then I'll complete my set. Poor old Kristen Crick. Like, she's not in the list. <laughs> you know what's weird? Like, I can't explain what it is, but there's something off about her. And I, I was just this afternoon, Michael Rosenbaum has a really funny podcast. Uh, where he just interviews people. But, like, the guy, he's actually getting to stand-up comedy now because he's really funny. And he had her on. And he was explaining, like, when the show started that she was so standoffish and didn't really talk to anybody. And she was like that for a couple of years or whatever. And you can still hear a little bit in her. But I think that's always the thing. It's like there, there just seemed to be, like, I don't know. She just there's a disconnect with her, and I don't know anybody who says Lana's their favorite character. And again, nothing wrong with her, but it's just she just lacks the excitement and enthusiasm that the other actors had. Just think that uh, when you come to my wedding, we're getting married at Lex Luthor's house. I know. So. Oh, so exciting! And that's me and Mallory getting married, not Colin yeah, and I getting married. Just, <laughs> just to clarify. That. people are just tuning in now (laughs) breaking news famous podcaster (laughs) that's how we get famous and we get listeners there we go um uh number two you had this way too low 24 um just 
yeah, we talked about it already. Just, just incredible. And I mean, you know, the the binge worthiness of television really at this point was really just kicking into gear. I mean, I would argue Twenty Four was one of the main catalysts of kind of starting this sort of trend of it. And you know, obviously with the DVDs and everything that came with it as well. And like I know, we, we did sort of an unaired pilot edition of the uh, the Oz Network, which essentially was us reviewing season one of Twenty Four. We thought like, oh, we don't need to do every episode. Clearly, that turned out well. <laughs> um, and like you know, in that we talked about how kind of like Kiva Sutherland was kind of one of the first real movie stars to really go, well, screw movies, I'm going to do a TV yeah. show. And like so beloved to me is Kiva Sutherland that I, I only watched Designated Survivor because of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like real just, touch, I love. I I never actually watched that one. I don't know why. I just something about it just thought like eh, that really kind of seems garbage. And I'm kind of glad I didn't watch it. But maybe one day. But just Keith Sutherland, like just what a man. Like if I had a gay top five, I <laughs> Keith Sutherland's number one. Like absolutely hands down. Uh, and like just Jack Bauer, maybe the greatest character in the history of TV. Just so goddamn good and. Just this, the, the way this show would just all of a sudden, boom, I'm going to kill this person off. Or, like, the, the manner they would do it in, like, you know, oh, they're not going to kill George Mason. You know, oh, they're not going to yeah. kill Chappelle. Of course they're not going to kill them. And they're like, holy fuck, they just did that. Um, and just the real-time format, everything worked about it. it it's funny actually watching Suits because um, D.B. Woodside is now in Suits. Mm-hmm. And um, the main chick, the, the, the boss woman of Suits... Because uh, she was in oh, season yeah. three, she was the one She's... that killed Sherry, yeah. and then she killed herself because she was involved with Wayne Palmer. So it's mm. funny to see them back together again when it's like, hey, they were together in twenty four as well, and here they are together in this. So, um, just yeah, and like you know, we're about to talk about my favorite show. I mean, everyone knows what it is, but you know, Kim Raver went from my number one show to my number two show, <laughs> and just, just. 24, so fucking good. And this is one that I will always find myself, similar to my number one, I'll, I'll re-watch this at least every couple of years, hands down. Um, Like I said before, what I was going to say, that I think the bad seasons of this do drop it down a little bit, just over some of the other shows on my list that obviously I don't feel ever got bad. But you can't really discount how much television owes to 24. Like the whole idea of binge television, even serialized television didn't really exist. Uh, I, we mentioned this probably in the unaired pilot, you know, Alias and 24 both debuted basically the same week and they both brought in serialized storytelling, which on network television hadn't been done in decades. And Alias, it didn't really work for it. So they dropped it after about two, you know, a season, two seasons, 24. That's what made the show. But I don't think the show would have ever lasted if it hadn't been for DVDs because also television shows on DVDs did not sell anything. Uh, mm. And so when TV, TV, you know, uh, the TV shows released on box set, they cost like $100 at the time or whatever, and nobody bought them. And the 24 came out in between season one and two, they sold so many DVDs that, you know, that basically gave them this whole new push for season two. And it became one of the biggest shows on TV, but like season one was not hugely rated. It was just the audience had developed when people had that ability to watch it straight through. I would argue that Netflix, at least the way it exists now with let's release an entire season, would never have happened without 24. So, I mean, television owes a lot to the show and it does kind of get forgotten in that talk. It does, doesn't it? It's kind of, it's not, you know, I I was was going to mention that with AR. Like you talked about how everyone watched AR. Like, I don't think people give credit to something like ER about how actually big that was mm-hmm. in the 90s when that came out. So it does seem interesting that these shows kind of get forgotten about. We, you know, you talk about something like Friends, for example, which is, you know, revered to this day still. 
Um, and yet, you know, shows like an ER or a 24 often get, you know, forgotten. But maybe it just, just comes down to things like Netflix because mm-hmm. I don't think 24 is on Netflix. So, like, you know, when something like that drops on a streaming service, people are just going to binge the crap out of it and yeah. go, holy crap, like, this is amazing as well. And, like, it also the timing of this show, it was, you know, in a, a very, very fresh from 9-11, you know, very much nearly didn't happen. And yet this was kind of like the timing of it actually worked out really well to kind of have, like, this American hero, Jack Bauer, fighting the tar- terrorists. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of just, yeah, amazing, amazing television. I can't wait to cover it with you one day, Colin. Um, now, my top two are almost interchangeable, uh, but I did have to give the slight edge to the one, which I'll mention when it does come up. But my number two, which was my real childhood favorite show, um, Home Improvement, which we've covered at great length here with many Tim Allen episodes, uh, <laughs> which oh man if you really want listen to rossi try to grunt it's maybe the one of the best segments we've ever had <laughs> um but like a it is a show that i grew up watching so obviously it's a little more important to me for that but i can still watch every single episode of this today and and love it and i i don't think there's any other show out there that i've seen as much as i have this you know it was one of these shows that was always on every single night i think it was like 10 o'clock it was aired here uh, locally, like uh, in syndication, and you know, I'd make sure to watch that before bed every single night. Um, it, for years, it ran like that. It got to the point where I'd seen this show so much that when an episode started, even though the opening segments really have nothing to do with the overall story, uh, my brothers and sisters would, would well, sister, I have, don't have more than one, but my brother and sister, <laughs> my siblings, would quiz me. And when an episode started, they'd count. To see how many seconds it took for me to say, oh, this is the episode where this and this and this happens. <laughs> and I get it within seconds and can still do that to this day. Um, I think the show's humor is probably even funnier now than it was in the 90s. Because uh, obviously, you know, a lot of things have changed until this was like embracing masculinity, but with a sense of humor. It wasn't like you know, everybody talks about toxic masculinity now. This show should never be grouped in with that because it was about the humor of so the guy's an idiot half the time. He's accident prone. But the thing that I think got me, and this is almost getting a little bit sentimental here, but you know, I mean, my dad died when I was eight. You know, There weren't really very steady guys uh, around or whatever. I had no male role model. This show came out, I think, just at the right time when I was a kid where – I actually looked up to this, and and the show did deal with a lot of things about you know, how would you raise kids? You know, what is it like uh, raising all boys? The show is so much about it's this guy who has all boys, and then the wife on the outside. That I actually did. I always hear people talk about. You know, this show actually helped raise me, and I learned life lessons. I can say that with with Home Improvement because um, there were long periods where my male influence was this show. And I don't even look at that as a negative way. Uh, and, you know, last man said to this day, like anything Tim Allen does, I love, which is why we cover him so much on here, but there'll be many more 24 episodes to come or sorry, not 24, uh, <laughs> home improvement <laughs> episodes to come. Uh, and it's not even just me. I mean, Rossi, you know, loves this show and Rossi's quite a bit younger than Ben. I don't think he was really old enough to watch the show when it came out. And he loves this that he just suggested, let's do, you know, these, 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 all these other home improvement episodes. So, uh, just love this show so much. Often get confused that Tim Allen nearly was Jack Bauer. Um, yeah. Keeper <laughs> Sutherland was almost <laughs> Tim the Till Two-Man Taylor. <laughs> he was the ultimate um, brow, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think, think so, Tim. Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I don't think so, Tim! <laughs> We're running out of time! I'm going to need a hacksaw. Um... Yeah, I, I yeah, Dad and I used to watch this show a lot growing up, and I I think I started buying it on DVD, 
Mm. Um, but they didn't really release it a lot in Australia. I think they might have only released like the first three seasons, then that was it. Um, but yeah, I, I remember watching this. It used to be, I think, on like a Sunday night with Dad. We'd go to my grandma's house for um, dinner, and this would always be on after dinner. And like Tim the Toolman kind of reminded me of my dad because my dad's a painter, sort of, you know, involved in sort of that sort of stuff. But we, Mum and I, and we'd always joke to Dad about like, you know, oh, you're like Tim the Toolman. You're always like making things, and it's breaking, and it's terrible, <laughs> and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, I, I love this show. Um, I would love to go back and rewatch it again. Uh, I remember when the finale was on, like how much of a big deal they made about yeah. that kind of, you know, it ending. And I don't think there's anyone really in that show that you just don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what was the middle kid, Mark, or was, he was the youngest one? Like, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was the middle one, yeah. But yeah, that, like was, even throughout the years, like you could say in the early seasons, this kid was the best. In the middle seasons, this kid, like all three mm-hmm. kids at some point were the best of the kids on the show. I love Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I mean, oh, who doesn't? Know, such 90s. It's just very 90s. <laughs> JTT <laughs> month coming soon. Where is he? Like, he's <laughs> hanging with Michael Fox somewhere. Matthew Fox. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 it's not obviously in my top 50, but I, I do love Home Improvement. Great show. Um, yeah, number one, you I know what guess. it is. It's third watch. <laughs> <laughs> always was going to be. Always going to be there. Uh, it made me so happy that I found people to be able to podcast it with. Um, just... Just so everything, I just, you know, can't talk highly enough about the show. And yeah, I get it. It's not everyone's type of show that they want to watch or everything like that. And it's always the show of when people say, like, what's your favorite TV show? Third Watch. Oh, I've not heard of that one. What's that one? <laughs> always, always is the answer. And it, it does baffle me, like, how this didn't get more attention than it did. Because I think the acting is just so, particularly the first two seasons are just, you know, beyond perfect. And for such a large ensemble cast too, which wasn't really that much of a norm, I guess, sort of at that time as well. And so many of the stuff that you see actually holds up to this day in terms of the issues that they're talking about and things like that. And just the realistic nature around a lot of the the cop and paramedic and, you know, when they remember to show the firefighters in it as well. Like, it's just incredible. And obviously it skews a little bit away from that sort of in the later seasons, but holds up so well. Um you know, just some of these actors that I could just list that are just, how have they not gone on to things? Obviously, people like Bobby Cannavale have gone on to, you know, big things since. Kim Raver, fairly decent career. Chadwick Boseman had his very first acting what? gig in Third Watch. <laughs> yep, he was a random firefighter in season five. And he was in it for like five minutes and then boom, thank you, Chadwick Boseman. Go and be Black Panther. Um, so, yeah, just incredible show. Probably something you'll never watch, but like watch it three times and it will be a third watch. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. Always going to be number one. I, I don't th- see this show ever being replaced as my favorite show of all time. I actually have seen some of it. Like when the show first came out, I watched a few episodes in the first season, just wanted to check it out because it is a cool concept, but I think I was so burnt out. Like I said, on ER, just the over the top medical, uh, in this case, police fire drama as well, that it wasn't something I ever really felt compelled to keep watching it. Overall, at the time period this came, what year did it debut? 1999. Yeah, so I think that was when I really, not just because of ER, but a lot of other shows, I just started to get annoyed with you know the, the whole over-the-top network drama, which is weird because at this point, the practice was doing over-the-top network stuff, and I was loving it, but... Um, now, other than the practice, I think a lot of those shows, if I were to rewatch them, as we mentioned, like Friends and ER, I might enjoy it more. But it's just everything felt like the same at that time. So the really tough thing with a show like this is, you know, does this show hold up better than the others? 
uh, or you know, is it just another run of the mill show? That's what I could never tell you about Third Watch because I never watched enough of it. But um, my number one, I know you've seen, and I know you said you've liked before. Um, and when picking my number one show, I didn't. This is one where as soon as you said non scripted, I'm like, I know what my number one is because it's even bigger than Home Improvement. Uh, so it's whose line is it anyway? Which um, ah yes, if. if Nobody has seen this show. Uh, you're an idiot. Um, don't listen to us. We're, we are nothing compared to the, the comedic brilliance of Who's On Is It Anyway. You need to watch it. But it started as a British show, became an American show hosted by Drew Carey. Now Aisha Tyler, who, of course, was on 24, um, is and uh, hosting it. And Friends. There you go. Uh, she's hosting it now. But it's just improv. Like com- she's great. Yeah. And, and mm. I'll, I'll just say, it's you just go, hmm. <laughs> Um, but uh you know considering drew carey was like so popular as that host i think she does almost an equally good job as the host which is you wouldn't think a host would matter in a show like this but just improv comedy which at the time this came out i think the when i saw the american version was in the late 90s i remember just hearing about the show and being like yeah i'll check that out uh and there were these my my family still talks about these noises that would come from the basement because my room was in the basement uh they would say they've never heard laughing like when I watched Who's Lying during those that first season before any of them had seen it. Like it was just the loudest they had ever heard any human being laugh. And that was the first time I ever watched the show. And so I got everybody else to start watching it just because like, what is it that's making them laugh this hard? Uh, and this, along with Home Improvement, funny enough, those are my top two shows because when Home Improvement was on 10 o'clock at night in reruns, Who's Lying would be on at 1030. And for years, every single night, I'd have to watch those two shows back to back. But the time I had no idea what this concept like improv comedy was, and it just blew my mind. It wasn't even just always they said or did the funniest things in these games or skits, you know, uh, like like scenes from a hat or newsflash. And they're having to come up with stuff off the top of their head. It was just the fact that, like, how did they come up with this stuff off the top of their head? And I was able to see a live show that they did, you know, minus Drew Carey and uh, Wayne Brady. Um, they, they did a live show and they're actually doing another one, you know, uh, across Canada. I'm not going to be able to go sadly. Uh, but like, there is no show that is funnier to me than whose line is it anyway. And as far as comedies go, I could say home improvement, great story or whatever, but for a show to be consistently this good with guys who have no script to deal with, that's what's crazy. Cause we have the same guys doing this, who have been doing it for over 20 years. You include the British show, Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery. You know, Greg Proops, Wayne Brady, all these guys have been doing it now for probably 20, 25 years, 30 years, uh, basically, if you include the British version. They're still coming up with the funniest stuff. Like in the new episodes, it will still make me laugh just as hard as the old ones. I only discovered this show when we got uh, cable sort of, you know, when I was in high school and just, yeah, fell in love with it. It was just absolutely hilarious. I, I will admit I never got into the British version. Like they would show the British version kind of, on a similar, like, sort of maybe before or after. I just, I just didn't find it as funny. I just couldn't get into it as much. But, oh, God, yes. Like, the, the I watched this religiously whenever it was on. It was hilarious. Like, I, I love Drew Carey because um, the Drew Carey show, my dad used to mm. love that in the 90s, so I used to watch that a lot with him. And, yeah, like, Ryan Stiles, Colin Mockery, and Wayne Brady, just love the man. He actually came to Hobart uh, several years ago, and I was, like, so close interviewing him. It was all locked in and everything, and then it kind of just it fell apart at the last minute, but his management were like, oh, you know, we're really sorry, but we'll give you some free tickets to go see the show. So I was lucky enough to see Wayne Brady live and, like, mm. hilarious. But um, just, God, yeah, absolutely love it. And like, this is a show that I would just... 
I always want to like do our own version. Like I'd always want to yeah. find it. Cause I just, I'm not saying I'd be any good at it, but like it would everybody's done them. So, like, but you it's know the, so much fun. Yeah. Like, you know, the game three headed Broadway star where you have to basically yeah. make up a song, but each the person one picks word. one word. Yeah. You can play those yeah. games yourself. And it, sometimes it's just how bad it is that works. Like, you know, Wayne Brady was the master of singing, but then Colin Mockery, you know, who of course is great Canadian, the worst singer ever, and he could never come up with rhymes. And sometimes they would flub, and it would be funnier because he'd be like doing a hoedown. It's like I really love hoedowns. I really, really do. I really, 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 really do. And when I'm doing hoedowns, and then he forgets his final lines, he just goes da, and then that's it. And it's funnier than if he had nailed it. <laughs> Like some of the guests I have, like I was watching clips that popped up in my thing the other day when um, Robin Williams was on it. Oh, yeah. Um, and just, just things like that. Like, oh, God, yeah. Like, I, I absolutely love Whose Line Is It Anyway. It is definitely a show that, um, yeah, it's just, it, you can always watch it and you're always going to you're always gonna laugh at it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, uh, did you ever see when Wayne Brady was on? I remember my Josh, uh, one of my friends, when he did the radio with me, we'd always just watch random YouTube clips. And the one we used to always love watching was when he was on the Chappelle show. And he's like, is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch? No. Like, cause he's got, he's got such like a family friendly image that they mm-hmm. basically like, it was like Dave Chappelle drive around with Wayne Brady. And then you discover Wayne Brady's actually an absolute asshole. And he's like a, he's like a pimp and he's got like prostitutes and like this prostitutes like, Oh, but I've got no money for you tonight. Wayne's like, is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch? And like, obviously it doesn't really hold up well today. I'm not yeah. laughing about the fact that men are choking women, but it's just, it's just cause it's such out of the character opposite, for Wayne yeah. Brady. Yeah, it's it's like it's really funny. Anyway, yes, no, I agree. It's it's a great choice for your number one. Thank you. And that's where we are. Uh, well, this episode went for about twice as long as we thought it would. Um, and we only matched like what four shows? <laughs> we did. So it's like ninety six uh, shows there. Um, I'm not sure if you're gonna put yours up. I'm I'm sort of gonna write mine up as a blog post on my website, but. Um, you know, it's it's interesting choices, definitely. And obviously, you know, plenty that we have on the cusp that didn't make it and everything. Do you have any quick honorable mentions that you were going to add before? Yeah, you know, there's a few that I wish I'd been able to throw in here. Um, Seinfeld, I, I couldn't... I tried so hard, but this is where I don't know if so much time has passed that the show would really hold up as well. Like, if I rewatch it now, it would probably instantly skyrocket on there fresh prince of bel-air another one i grew up loving and then a very short-lived show um called dark skies uh that was i guess unfairly uh categorized as an x-files ripoff in the mid-90s because it was very x-files i was dealing with alien invasion but the interesting thing about the show is that it took place in the 60s and it was about you know it would involve a cover-up where aliens were involved in this historical event from the 60s this historical event the entire season took place throughout the course of the decade uh and then the whole idea was that the second season would be taking place through the 70s and it was just such a brilliant show and i think the first season is absolutely brilliant it's just it never got a second season so i couldn't find a place for it in there even though i have some other short-lived shows yeah no i had a few like um i mentioned southland before that very much nearly made my my top 50 uh, you said Screen Queens. Absolutely, yeah. I'd have that very much on the cusp. Uh, a, a very short-lived show called NYC 22. It was kind of just a very short-lived show about like new recruits in the NYPD, which actually was really, really good. Um, Unreal. I know you're a fan oh, of yeah. Unreal, but and the reason honest, I don't, I don't think, go ahead. Yeah, go, I was go. you're going to say no, the reason you no. didn't include it because um, uh, I haven't really watched the last two seasons. That's yet, exactly so that's what fun. I was going to say. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I know the show's over, but I haven't seen much of season three and uh, season four, so I'm sure that could make its way on the list too. I, I did mention earlier too the the kids in the hall, which was um, 
it, it basically you consider the Canadian Monty Python. This is where like Dave Foley uh, came from, who of course we saw him blast from the past and done so many other things. News radio, he was the star of, uh, but like, completely ridiculous. When you were mentioning all of like the Chris Lilly shows, I kept thinking about, oh, I really should have put kids in the hall on there because that's like the 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 great Canadian sketch comedy show. The what the one that um also there was a Damien Lewis show before he did Homeland called Life. I don't know if you ever remember that. Only ran for oh, like yeah, I remember seasons. Mm-hmm. I really liked that sort of. It was kind of in the quirky nature of like a monk or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely obviously a lot that could have made it. But um, yeah, obviously we're gonna we've already been here for three hours. So anyway, tomorrow we talk movies, and um, that to me was a lot harder <laughs> to yeah. come up with the top fifty because uh, I sat there for a long time with like my you know top fifty one or whatever. I'm like, God, what can I cut? And then Die Another Day had to get cut, sadly. No. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> I will tell you, Colin Hilding, Die Another Day does not make my top 50. Don't Good. worry. Um, but I, unlike you, I, I didn't restrict myself to one per franchise. But having said that, it's not flooded with, like, there's only maybe two Bond movies, three Star Wars movies, and they might be the only multiple franchise entries in it. So, um I didn't even manage to fit any Jurassic Park sequels in there, so there you go. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the movies one. Uh, I, I'm intrigued to hear your choices as well. Yeah, and mine's going to have, like, a huge variety too because uh, I think as I was doing it, some of similar to with the TV one, I'm like, you know, I may like this show more, but I think I really need to include this type of show, and there's a lot of movies in there. I'm like, oh, I've, I've got to include this one because it's totally different from anything else on there. But ultimately, I mean, it really does come down to, like, the 50 greatest movies. And some of the ones that don't make the cut, like, I'm, I'm glad we're going to do an honorable mentions for the movies as well because I- I'm so disappointed that there's at least, you know, a half dozen movies that, that had to be cut from my list because they're, they're just as good as some of the ones that are on there. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on all the relevant channels, Instagram, everything. Let us know your thoughts on our choices. Let us know some ones that you think should be in there, shouldn't be in there, um, besides Desperate Housewives. And let just let us know your thoughts because we'd like to hear what you think and what potentially your top 10 maybe would be. You can give us our top 50 if you want to. That's cool. Do it. Um, <laughs> and subscribe at all the relevant podcast channels. Leave us some feedback. You know the drill. And uh, thank you for tuning in to this uh, marathon episode. Uh, in the meantime, my name is Ben and hashtag justice for desperate housewives. <laughs> And my name is Colin, and I really like doing rankings. I really, really do. I really, 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 really do. And when I'm doing rankings... Ah! Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.